Hey, before we get into it, we want to let you know that uh, in the new year, in the year of our Lord 2019, we're going to do a live episode Whoa, of Hottest yeah. Hundreds and Thousands, yeah. where you can... Look us in the eye as we speak to you. Yeah. I think that's the main benefit. Shake your head. Direct eye contact. All, all, yeah, all, yeah. all the visual gags we've been making will finally not be lost on you. Yeah, yes. exactly. You can give your five-star reviews in person by doing it on your phone and then showing, and showing it to us. us. <laughs> and where are we going? We're going to Canberra. Oh, my God. The nation's capital. The nation's capital for the nation's coolest boys. Yeah, we've oh. done the stats and we realise most of our listeners live in Canberra or have access to Canberra yeah. or will listen to the live episode later. I um, mean, that's a roundabout way of saying things. Get it? Because there's lots of roundabouts in Canberra. That's right. Hey. And that's just some of the great Canberra content you can expect at this live episode of Hundreds and Thousands. The after party's at Questacon, baby! <laughs> Woo! My friend used to work there, so maybe we can get How it. Hell yeah! Oh, let's do it! Uh, it's at the Canberra Theatre Centre on February the 8th. That's a Friday. Kicks off 5.30 with a cool DJ called The Gemist um, and happy hour drinks. And then we are starting at 7.00. And we're going to talk about some songs mm -hmm. from the 1999 countdown. But mm. which will they be? You'll have to come to find out. Yeah. And you know it'll be a good one because there's happy hour drinks beforehand. At least a quarter of us will be drunk on stage. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> you know it'll be good content, baby. Oh, yeah. baby. We'll put all the links um, on our Facebook and everything. You can also find it at the Canberra Theatre Centre's website, canberratheatrecentre.com.au. Uh, the show is called Hottest Hundreds and Thousands Live, which we worked on for a while and we're pretty happy with. I mean, yeah. <laughs> See you there. We're super keen. It's going to be great. See you there. Enjoy the episode. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands. We are taking control of your radio station. This is the podcast where we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 13. Sorry, Hottest 31. Sorry, Hottest 100. There we go. Yeah. And this is the top motherfucking 10 of 1998. Gentlemen. Yo. How are we feeling? Trepidatious. <laughs> Trepidatious? Like we're about to go on the dopest trip. It's, it's going to be decidedly real. My name is Noodles. I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. And joining me for one more time in the glistening, glistening summer of 1998, Adam Boncher. <laughs> <laughs> now you all have to do it. <laughs> See what I set up? Uh, I Oh, damn it. <laughs> you better. We got Andrew McDonald. Nice to be here, David. 
the Making villain. his farewell appearance <laughs> on the podcast, Andrew McDonald. Yeah, I think it's the last one. <laughs> We're going to replace you again nah. with fucking old mate from the Power Podcast. Nah, I forgot about, forgot about that real thing. <laughs> <laughs> what was his, what's his name? Ace. Ace, oh, yeah. that's Ace. it. Yeah, we're going to get Ace back in. We thank him very much. You want to know how season. long this year has been? <laughs> Ace used to be on this podcast. <laughs> we went and saw Black Panther with Ace in Actually, the cinemas. We were making Black Panther jokes. <laughs> really? Black Panther? Just a thought it was the Panther. Really. <laughs> I don't see colour. <laughs> Well, you should for that It's kind of very important. And last, but certainly, absolutely least. You know I'm fucking with you. You know I love you, Nathan Harrison, if that is your real name. Well, obviously, none of us podcast with our real names. I mean, that's true. These are our pod names. Our nom de gloire, our war names. My real... My real name is not David James Young. Don't be coming to my house. So if I if I chose the fake name for myself of Adam Bunshot, that's a great name. It's great. Oh. What? No, no one would suspect it. Well, Hiding in plain sight. I would. If I was going to choose a fake name, we'd, it would be Chad Laszlo. Chad Laszlo. Chad Laszlo no. is the best name. Yeah, but uh, mine's maybe, Chesty Larue. But maybe that's your real name. Yeah, for all we know, the switcheroo. <laughs> 90 songs. Done. Clocked it. It's just like ain't no thing for us now, you know? I mean, after, after today, we'll be up to about... We've, we'll have talked about 600 songs, yeah, if not more. more. So it ain't a thing. These 10 Ooh. songs ain't shit. I could do this all day. We have done this for days. We yeah. have done this really. for years. Yeah. Like... I don't know if you people know, once we start a podcast, we can't stop. <laughs> yeah, we don't get songs, to leave yeah. this room. Yeah, once you start a podcast, you can't stop. That's that's the white man's burden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Game faces, people. It's time for the top 10 of 1998. This is Living End from the album, The Living End. It's a song called Save the Day. So here I Coming in at number 10 in the 1998 Hottest 100, that's a song called Save the Day. I love this record. I don't mm. know if I've ever spoken about how much I love The Living End. Yeah. Well, they, they don't really feature in the Hottest 100. I mean, so. also true. That's also true. This album is a juggernaut. This album propelled them for like two years straight. A good half of this record has got to be singles. Like, it's crazy. There's like five or six singles. I think this is the fourth 
So you have Second Solution, Society, All Torn Down, and then this. I think West End Right comes after, and then yeah. Trapped is the final single. Well, we started talking about singles from this album last season, yeah, and we're going to still be talking about it next season, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. pretty big. Yeah, they're on one, man. From, I think it's 97 to 2004, they have, a, they have one song in the Hottest 100 every single year. That is fucking unreal. I'm not sure if that's been topped since. Like that, that is a sensational record to have. 2006, all the way up to 2006. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Wow. Ten years, ten the, years straight. Would the oh, finger shit. come close? Maybe. That's, that's a very all, good that's question. All I, can think of. I mean, they were very sporadic with their releases. True, true. So, with Powderfinger, was always a matter of when it rains, it pours. Because they were the first act to get more than one song in the top ten as well. Hmm. And they've done that twice. God damn it, Powderfinger! Even when we're not talking about Powderfinger, we're talking about Powderfinger. When we're talking about the hottest 100, we're still kind yeah, of talking Yeah, you're technically about talking about Powderfinger. Yeah, yeah. So where does this stand in the uh, echelon of great living end singles? Mm. Uh, I personally love it. I have always found this super rousing and super catchy. Like the, the snare rolls and that like really menacing sound of guitar where it's just just a couple of those metal like oh, it's so tight yeah, right? yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the melody lines on the guitar god damn yeah 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 so to have like that and the rockabilly side and like the big big punk rock side that oi, like the oi stuff is sick yep. and then that chorus just bowls you over like there's just such a great energy to what they do. Yeah, like I've talked about that immediate dynamic between the three of them, but it never sounded like overproduced or overdubbed. It just sounded like three dudes in a room fucking going for it. And I think that's what I love about this song. Also, one of my all-time favorite fake endings. That super nice little finger-picked guitar bit. And then... And that's it. Mm. Like, you're just like, oh, that was a nice way to end. And then, oh, jeez, where the fuck did that come from? Oh, yeah. my goodness, you hit me a heart attack. And I'm turning into Michael Caine. It was only 16 years old. I, um, I failed him. <laughs> I'm sorry, Master Cheney. I failed you. Oh, oh, failed. <laughs> it was a great record, and I failed it. Was it. A, I love the living and the self-titled. There's something very wrong with your Michael Caine. Like, that's so, worried no, no, for no, him. I learned this, this from the trip with um, you, Steve Cooper. And what's the other guy? Rob Brydon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they have this scene where they're just like, not only do they do Michael Caine impressions, but they do impressions of one another's Michael Caine impressions. It's just like, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do, hello, my name is Michael Caine. But what you've got to do, if you've got to, like, breath out and emphasize every single line, especially if you're getting very emotional. Mm. She was only 16 years old. Watch the trip. It's very funny. It's very, it's very funny. Oh, I'm very smug and British, but it's very, very funny. I think this, this is a surprising choice for such a high number, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Like, I was going to say, because like, like, I think it's a, obviously like that first Living End record, there's not a song that isn't awesome. Yeah. So this is an awesome song. Yeah. But like, I don't think this is nearly as good as Prisoner of Society, West End Riot, All Torn Down, any of those. Well, other... it beats Second Solution. Well, I think Second, Second Solution, Solution is, is a better Only by like four spots, though. Yeah, that, still that's did a it. big four spots. If you, almost at any point in my life was like hey can you make a, a living end playlist it's not so much that I would actively choose not to put this in on I would forget yeah. about this song yeah yeah yeah. and you'd be like what about Saves a Day and I was like what song is that and you say Swallow Swallow I was like oh yeah. right <laughs> yeah. the Swallow the Pride song yeah. oh yeah. okay yeah I guess yeah, it's okay it's, it's, this is a fine song there's nothing at all bad about this track but I, I don't want to denigrate it because it is awesome that always the fucking totally. sing yeah. they, they, they know how to write an awesome 
punk rock rockabilly song. It's exactly what The Living End does in all of their tracks, and it's not as if it's done in any worse way, but there just has to be a hierarchy. There has to be some songs that you prefer more than other songs, and I prefer Second Solution more than this, and so yeah. therefore I'm surprised that this actually got higher. I just think this song has never made like a real impact on me. Yeah. yeah. like I remember it It's from- a bad song, and, and Forgettable makes it sound bad, but, but honestly, I just don't... It doesn't stick with me yeah. when I think about the living end at I all. Just, it, it maybe not forgettable, maybe just like less memorable. You know, it's yeah. just not one of the ones that. But I mean, like, it's also here, and like, it's still the living end, exemplifying exactly what they do so very, very well. You've got all the elements that come into play that make the living end what they are at this time: the punk sensibility, the pop sensibility, the just the intricacy on the instrumentation. And DJ, I think what you were talking about, about this band, you know, not being produced or whatever, yeah. them not having to be because they are seriously locked into each other so yeah, goddamn like every time. space is filled up. It's like a brick wall that's just like stacked so close together that there is no light coming through it at all. You can't slide a single piece of paper between it. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's just that tight. And I think that's tightness is what gives it the energy. Like, just listen to how locked in everyone is. It's absolutely unbelievable. And then again, like, it (laughs) it comes down to the individual instrumentation as well. Like, how tight... Chris is with the with the individual notes on his guitar. Like those licks are so fast, but there's nothing sloppy about them at yeah. all. Yeah, he, he, he is he's two he's two for one. Like he's a solid rhythm player, and he can just like immediately become the the lead guitar player on a on a snap. Apparently, the song's about going to war. Yeah, hmm. yeah. The video Which kind of reinforces that. There's yeah. there's lots of imagery, military of, um, imagery and shit like that. I got yeah. kind of more of like a, a workaday working class kind of like being exploded. Well, I, I, I taking pride. I think in, it is yeah. the the work working class kind of war narrative of like he, yeah, sure. these are normal people yeah. that get sent off to fight the war I guess I kind of got more of an industrial exploitation kind of vibe but, but war, yeah. war also works yeah <laughs> <laughs> capitalism war there's, there's no wrong good. choice really yeah. in either of those mm, they go hand in hand hey. <laughs> the big two <laughs> the big two yeah. I'm not gonna lie I was kind of surprised you see you guys kind of be generally kind of indifferent towards this one like no, it for, me, for me like this is kind of like on the Mount Rushmore of yeah, of right. End. Huh. Like you know, okay. this it's like this in Prisoner Society and Second Solution and All Torn Down. Like those are the like the big ones that I go to. Well, I'm a Living End casual. As opposed to, like, you know, someone who's died in the wool, like yeah. you are. But so. even, like, because I think all the Living End songs from this era that I love, I remember loving as a kid when they came out. Like, Living yeah. End were one of the first bands I remember, like, in, enjoying Prisoner of Society with other kids at school and making that connection. Because, totally. And this song just isn't on that radar, so I don't know if I was, mm. like, kidnapped for the month that it was in the charts <laughs> or something. But it makes <laughs> sense that if you have a peripheral love of Living End... You know, and you share it kind of within the general music community as you would kind of any other song. That other songs are going to take the place because I think the amount of resources you have to allocate towards a band that you're only casually interested in, they're only so much. But if you're a Living End fan, yeah, yeah. you know, you you would have more time for other songs. This Maybe, being one of the other songs, because um, obviously I was not a cool ten year old and wasn't listening to Triple J, and so I I heard Prisoner of Society and West on Riot because. They were crossover singles. Uh, Maybe this wasn't uh, one yeah. of those. Even mm. though there's a video, and the fact that it was top ten makes me think it must have done all right. It's just 22 just... on the Aria chart, so I don't know. Yeah, it did okay. Who knows? Yeah. 
Look, like, again, maybe it's a great song. All the, all the singles on this record song. did pretty well. Yeah. Look, yeah. it's it's a good song, and, and on paper it's perfect. It's just like I I never think, oh yeah, this song. Yeah. I yeah. think what what was that song like? Look, it, it is a very good song. I'm not trying yeah. to. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm just surprised this is the highest one of the year mm. for the Living End. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. It. that's it. Yeah. I do remember, like, uh, when uh, old mate, uh, your mate, uh, our mate, mm. Elliot J. O'Neill was here, uh, he mentioned that Save the Day was his champ. He mentioned that number 10 in the Hottest 100 was his favourite song of the entire countdown. Oh, yeah, wow. So, mm, so he's just tuned out us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but old mate, if you're still listening... I um, write us. I uh, at us. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. Huh? Remember from before? Uh, bringing back uh, all hey, the references. Very we're good. All very classic good. rock, baby. Um, no, like I would genuinely love to know, like, uh, why this is your favorite song in the countdown. Like, if it's like a personal reason, or if there's like something about this song in particular, we might be on the same page. So, yeah, mate, hmm. give us a call. We're worried yeah. about you. <laughs> I haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> I'm mad. I just think it's fucked up. You don't answer fans. She was only 16 years old. <laughs> and number nine, this is UMI with Heavy Heart. Than I should be. I'm like a waterlogged ball. No one wants to kick around anymore. And all day morning head do that no con can get through. It's all granola and beer, and the calling card and the silk cut souvenir. I miss you like sleep. Nothing romantic about the hours I keep The morning's when it starts I don't look so sharp Now I've got a heavy heart Talk a lot of... That was you and my... Heavy bloody, heavy bloody heart Damn it, Tim! Why do you do this to us? Nathan? Hmm... You're wearing a UMI shirt right now. Hey, representing. I'm repping. A nice visual gag for the podcast. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you're wearing a Living End shirt, David. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Adam, you're wearing a Hottest Hundreds and Thousands shirt. Hey. <laughs> and I, of course, I'm wearing my corn shirt still. Yeah, yes. Of course. <laughs> this is going to surprise you. I'm not wearing a shirt at all. Just uh, once, David. Just once a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> would be great. I've been Alex Jonesing it the whole season. There's no dress code for this podcast. <laughs> I don't like the songs that turn the freaking frogs gay. Nathan, does this Nathan, song turn the freaking frogs gay? Does this song turn the frogs gay? Not. Is it good if it? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Is this song a gay bob? Am I pro turning the frogs gay? If, if Alex think, Jones is anti it, I think the frogs should just be allowed to choose. Yeah, I guess oh, nothing it's, should it's, turn. It's a, it's a choice, is it, Adam? Is that, do you think it's a sexuality? Is a choice? Oh God. <laughs> the frogs should be allowed to express themselves in whatever way they choose. Is that a better way? To, yeah, yes, that's they good. Do. All right, all right. Shut it. But if, frog, if some frogs need chemicals to be who they are, then that's you know that's fine. Yeah. And, you know. This is this is just fraught. <laughs> oh my goodness! Heavy Heart is reasonably one of UMI's most popular songs, if not maybe their most popular. 
It's yeah, it's it's, a, it's another one of those. It's like one of our biggest hit sounds. Absolutely nothing like yeah, the rest yeah, of our yeah, discography. Definitely, this song is just beautiful in every way. This is a band, and and I, I think it's really important that it's the band too, because like the songwriting is great, and and Tim has written a great song, but the w- way the whole band really lift this up into being something special. There's so much restraint, but every little touch that the band does in this song is is gorgeous. And and I think what I love about this song so much is just that it's a song about being sad. It's not a song about anything specific. He said he wrote it for Charlie Rich, who was a American musician who passed away. And when he says um, he wrote it for, did he write it in honour of, or did he actually write it for him to perform? I, oh, wasn't, maybe, I wasn't certain about that. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even yeah. thought about that, because that would make sense. Yeah. like is, is it- I think Charlie Rich was kind of a bit of like a country, you know, American country musician, and this song would certainly work in that sort of a context. Totally. But it's just like, it's just a song about being sad and having mm. a heavy heart. Like that bridge where it's just like, it's just a weight inside my chest, you know? This yep. isn't a song about whatever is making him sad. Yeah, it's, it's, just, a, it's like a heartbreak or a divorce song. No. It's just a song about being bummed. It's just I'm yeah. sad and oh, I'm going around hurts. the house yeah. doing things so, that aren't good for me. And it was like, I miss you like sleep. Oh my like, God. Aww. And, and th- th- there's nothing romantic about the hours. I keep that kind of self-awareness totally. and, and like there's an indulgence in this song or at least he's calling out the indulgence of being sad. Yeah. yeah, because yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm watching a, too much TV and doing yeah. all these things. I'm loving there's cigarettes nothing again. romantic yeah. about this. Because one of those things, right, like the image of the tortured genius is so it's so enticing to buy into that myth. And it is yeah. like when you think about like Van Gogh or like that or like even like contemporary musicians, you're like, oh, man, like look how good like such and such a writer is because they're so sad all the time and that kind of thing like that. And it's easy to buy into that indulgence, but actual unhappiness and, and depression aren't creative forces. No. They're creative drains. And there's yeah. like nothing romantic about the hours I keep. Yeah, man, it sucks when you're in a shitty mood and you're sad. Like, that's it. That being said, and, and I believe that like Tim Rogers has gone on record saying that during this time in UMI, he was having a really bad time with panic attacks and anxiety and all those kinds of things. I know things. he's so struggled with alcohol addiction as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it came from a really real place. But yeah. when I when I listen back to this now, knowing that, you know, Tim Rogers is, at least from the outside, doing pretty okay now. Like, And every time you, you kind of see him, he's just this absolute charming, devilishly handsome gem of Elder Australian of Australian rock. Elder Statesman of Sydney rock, yeah. specifically. So, so when he sings lines like, I've got an all-morning hairdo that no comb can get through, and he talks about wine stains being on his shirt, I'm just like, I can't help but feel charmed by yeah, that, yeah, knowing yeah. Tim yeah. Rogers as he is. I'm just like, oh, mate. The other the other line that I love is the, um, I know every song about guys and girls and hearts and hurts and... Like, that, that thing of when you're sad, and so you're like, well, here are all my songs. Like, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine how many songwriters then and even now listen to this song and just go, oh, fucking goddamn it. God damn yeah. it. It's fully, it's, it's fully one of those things so, that you I was going to write a song about being sad. <laughs> but it's so well crafted, right? A waterlogged ball that no one wants to kick around oh. anymore. Like, that's the line. Yeah, you, just yeah. Go, yeah man. You can fucking write. And even just to, like, piss off my friends, like, the detail's all there. Yeah, like, 100%. Yeah, like, what is still so exemplary about Roger's songwriting and what he does with so many of his songs is all of his songs, and particularly songs like on, like Hi-Fi Way where he sings about Sydney and stuff the specificity in the details make the world seem full like you know, he doesn't have to sketch mm. out every single individual thing that's happening saying like the 
the reason I'm sad is because X, Y, and Z happened. Mm. But just these specific individual moments about like, so like pissing off your friends and feeling like a waterlogged ball, kind of thing like that. They're moments that you know, and like knowing the songs, stuff like that. Those are all things that you know when you are unhappy. And it doesn't have to give you an, a full map, but just the specificity of the details make the world, and in this case, the unhappiness, seem so rich and so, so beautiful. It's showing, yeah. it's showing not telling. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. I think whenever we speak about you and like, we always talk about the swagger of Rogers and also the songwriting chops of Rogers. But like, it's so good, just like, because when he said that, like, with the first time he played it, people were like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, oh, maybe I've got something here, which yeah, is really cool. that's great. And, like, but, like, knowing to yourself that, like, if you're, like, this kind of alt-rock grungy band and you're like, you know what, I know that I can write a very good soft acoustic number and then you knock it out of the park, like, obviously Tim doesn't need my kind of, like, pride or anything like that but I'm sorry I hear this and I'm like I'm fucking proud of you for being able to write a song that's out of your wheelhouse and it's just as just as fucking perfect as all the others but yeah I mean, this isn't too far removed from Purple Sneakers no true yeah you know he's, and Purple Sneakers came a little, little yeah. while even before. like the first track on Owly Daily about the the neo-Nazi the, kid you know Owly Daily yeah yeah <laughs> the title track mm-hmm. yeah. um, you can definitely tell there are a couple of like key influences that I think about uh, as you mentioned country music is a is a big factor uh, in in this like that like uh, my wife done left me kind of like <laughs> Like my classic. dog is dead. My dog is dead. <laughs> my wife is, is dead. dead. My, my son co- is dead. My car is dead. <laughs> Poor Judd is dead. Um, Johnny Cash is yeah, Johnny dead. Ca- <laughs> Ten years ago, we had a <laughs> Johnny Cash. And, oh, God damn it. Uh, but yeah, you know, just that classic sorrow. It's just like, I have no other way to express how fucking sad I am right now. And, you know, there is a bit of a wink to it, but I, I think there's still, you know, like a genuine pain that is inherently relatable and it seeps through, like, the history of country music. Mm. A few years ago on uh, the show Adam Hills in Gordon Street Tonight, uh, a really great uh, country duo from the States called uh, The Secret Sisters uh, did a cover of this. Uh, and hearing it, like, with, like, classic country harmonies and, like, you know, like a, an actual southern twang, I miss you. I sleep, and there's nothing romantic about the hours I keep. And I was just like, wow, this absolutely is like that. Huh. Also, the most wholesome thing I've ever heard is they changed the lyric to I tick off my friends. <laughs> 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 Which is just, I'm like, oh, bless your goddamn heart. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I think about is uh, like lounge influence. Mm. Um, so, not in a pretentious Alex Turner kind of way but like in a like a genuine love of like Burt Bacharach and like that sort of stuff where you know you can imagine someone like fucked up at karaoke doing this pure just misery but also just like reveling in a bit of luxury and it's just like well here I am and that kind of plays into like the minor keys a little bit and like the the kind of percussion in the background and stuff like that is, is it very Rusty's? loungy yeah, yeah oh yeah Rusty's all over that shit yeah so um, good yeah I've seen them play this a bunch um I've seen them do it like straight up acoustic solo with Tim. Uh, I've seen them do do like full band versions. I once saw them at a festival just rock this out, just like turn it into like a defiantly like miss you, I see. Mm. Nothing will matter about the hours I keep. I'd be, and, I'd be I'd be disappointed if I heard that version. I think at a festival that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it's cool to see like how many different ways this song can work. Yeah, ostensibly. Yeah, it's a full credit to to Timmy and his and his songwriting and. 
and I guess the versatility of the band as a whole. This is so many people's favourite song. This is worth pointing. Like, yeah, just in general, like not just you, am I, um, but like Courtney Barnett. Courtney Barnett. Courtney Barnett has gone on record playing uh, Austin City Limits. It's a lovely you cover know, too. I watched it the other day. It's just like, but you, but you, you, you know, you're in a position where you're representing Australia in one of the biggest music festivals on earth, and you give a shout out to this like homegrown Aussie favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to dad. dad. It's really great. I like seems I, more of like a weird uncle. Yeah, <laughs> but like a cool uncle. A really cool. You but, look forward but to weird. You yeah, look but forward cool to family like a weird cousin. They, yeah, they're like the yeah. daughter of Tim. I yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Oh, there we go. The the one detail that I just love, and this is me kind of like getting a bit imaginative, but there's something about the percussion that just creates like this really high kind of drone. And if you think, if you listen to it in the right way, it almost sounds like cicadas. Hmm. And it just creates this sense of oppressive, still heat that you kind of get in, in the Sydney summer. And I think that that is exactly where this song was written and where it sits like it's you're in you're in a sydney house and it's hot and you can't and you're move just, you're, just, you're shitty you're shitty yeah. and you can't move you don't have the energy you know and that's i love i love that that sense mm. kind of comes through and number eight this is Powderfinger with the day you come Fading, single voice complaining. Days are stacking out, it's hardly worth debating. The people are frustrated. Drink from poison cup, the system is collapsing, conscience is relapsing. The damage. Number eight in the 1998 Hottest 100. That's the day you come from internationalist. And we're throwing now to our international department. Adam. Hello. You're a man of the world. Yes. You've uh, you've, you've slept with with a lady. <laughs> uh, is that what this song's about? Correct. <gasps> What's it like? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> so... We've yeah. talked about Powderfinger multiple times already, mm-hmm. indeed, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I don't like it's a, it's a tough one to know where we all collectively stand. Some of us are just like, oh, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Uh, it, it, I've I generally tend to like them, like particularly around this era, like early Powderfinger is my favorite sort of stuff. Where do you stand on Powderfinger as a whole, and then specifically? Internationalists, and then even more specifically, 
The Day You Come from the album Internationalist by the band Patrick. Well, see, I never listened to Internationalist. I wasn't really? Into, no, I've never listened to it. Ever? Uh, no. You still haven't? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. No, I, I came into Powderfinger for, like, albums around Vulture Street, which right. I think is fair enough considering my age. But then I got into the Fingerprints Best Of collection, so I oh, heard the man. big singles through there. And that's a very good collection of their singles. Yes, kind of it is. Going back over the over kind of their collected works of, of the earlier kind of albums. And it really paints Powderfinger as a band that does a lot of different things. They, they play with a lot of different influences, and they're really experimenting and doing a lot of different things. And, I, and, and this song, I think, really exemplifies that. It, this song doesn't sound like any other song. This is a really fascinating song. And honestly pretty terrifying this is a this is a yeah there's a very dark underbelly to this song 100% because it's so clearly like the chorus is so clearly alluding to religious songs to me like traditional religious songs that that could almost be straight from a church song you know there could be people in churches right now singing on the day you come rising up like and the the way that the harmonies work with that yeah the it's, it's like, almost whoa. it's almost ghostly. It's like haunted. Give a shout out to some of the personnel involved in that chorus. They're from a, another Brisbane band, a trio called Titus. Titus, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know anything about those guys. They're amazing. Uh, three indigenous women. Uh, yeah, like uh, were like folk musicians. Uh, yeah, played a lot of festivals and like uh, toured a lot and like had incredible three part harmonies that they they do all the time. Like. Uh, they they sang on I think this record they sang on Vulture Street they sang on Bless My Soul like they 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 worked with Titus a lot over the years that's um, fucking cool I didn't yeah, know yeah 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 three three female backing vocalists yeah really really cool so for me it's all about the interplay between the verse and the chorus and that's yeah. me like the verse is this tension and this fear and this anxiety and it's communicated through those you know like the really staccato everything is just so staccato and you know they worked with Titus for the first time on this track but they also worked with Nick Dedea Nick Dedea yeah who became the longtime producer for this band it's like yeah. if you make something like this mm. to start with of course you're going to keep <clears throat> working with him this is so immaculately produced but that verse right everything just kind of sounds I just get the sense of like a clock it's just like this mechanical kind of ticking but it's also yeah. the tension of watching the clock and, and allowing time to pass and seeing things kind of unfold and for things kind of be a little bit out of your control and it's talking about things that are kind of going on in the world and it's you know movements in terms of society and in, in, in terms of politics or whatever and then it goes up against this chorus which is like hopeful but to me it's a hope that's driven so much from that fear and it's like this has to be whatever this thing is that we're holding up as as whatever you are the, the the you in the day you come whether it be a religious figure or a political figure or whatever like it's them going like oh my god you have to be the answer you have to fix this because if you don't i can't go on because i'm i'm seeing all this fear and this tension and whatever and it's mm. it's to me like it reminds me so much of my past kind of being religious and being part of these communities and whatever, yeah. um, you know, which is which is not where I am anymore, but I definitely was. And it's like that fear is so real. And like when people are like investing so much in this solution, in this answer, it's it's desperate. Like it, it has to be real or you're fucked. Yeah. 100%. And it's so, it's, it's, it's like, it's so extreme and so desperate. And I think like 
a lot of people look at this song and the way it was written and go like, oh, it's a, it was about one nation, right? A lot of people thought it was yeah. that point, Hanson. Yeah. And, yeah, and Bernard said that not necessarily. He said they wrote it more generally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, about I mean, a Queenslander going after another Queenslander, like, <laughs> who would do such a thing? <laughs> but, I mean, like, I buy it as a general kind of thing because you are seeing that same kind of thing now. Like, people are turning to weird fucking places in terms of, you know, trying to find just a solution Solutions yeah. to, yeah. to the anxiety that they have kind of carrying themselves through every day so that's what this could song could you imagine One Nation me. existing in 2018 <laughs> oh, God. Man, that'd, be, yeah. that'd be fucked up if this isn't absolutely my favourite Powderfinger song it's probably getting up there wow. it's in my top 10 absolutely I think, wow. I think this is a remarkable oh, song this video I am um, like I've said before I'm generally not much of a Powderfinger fan yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't, fair enough I didn't know this song at all? No. Really? Huh. This was like yeah. one of their biggest songs. Yeah, well, this is a blank spot for me. But yeah. I thought this was fucking cool as shit. Yeah, it's a great Super song, interesting, man. like the the riff work and the, 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 like, yeah. the, the way that guitar yeah, sounds. The interplay, yeah. the interplay between Hoagie and Daz. Like, like yeah, it, it really so doesn't good. sound like much else exactly. in the Powderfinger canon, right? Yeah. Like Any other kind even, of song. Like what, even, what yeah, this, yeah. Stylistically, this was kind of peerless at the time, and I still think that stands in, in the case of like the general Powderfinger oeuvre um, but also this is a great case in point for Powderfinger as a band like the dueling guitar that super locked in bass and fucking John Coghill coming oh, through like a goddamn hot. metronome if and the crack any, of that snare just oh if you go to any single point in this track the drums are doing something perfect the entire energy build that like where everything just kind of gets blasted apart is entirely due to the drums switching it up yeah yeah and they yeah. do it so magnificent yeah. I, I mean the bit I'm where everything drums out and that super fuzzy, super distorted guitar break. And, like, Bernald, like, I've given so much shit to Bernald for just being lifeless and boring and having no personality in his own music. And I still maintain that to this very day. But I'll be fucked if... But I'll be fucked if, like... For a while there, he wasn't one of the most dynamic and, like, versatile frontmen in Australian rock. Like, to go from this to Don't Want to Be Left Out, to, like, Good Day Ray, all of this on the same record, like... An interesting point there, because this was the first single to be released from International Yeah. Rest, and they were worried that it gave the wrong kind of impression of what their sound would be, and that's why they released... Don't want to be left out as the second single to yeah, be like, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's actually more like this. Uh, but we just think this song's really good. And the, that's that's the big two. Internationalist is probably my favorite Powderfinger album. So okay. if I'm gonna recommend one like start to finish Powderfinger record, I would recommend Internationalist. Mm. Hmm. I just think this song is so valuable because it just it's so unique in what it captures and in how it captures it. It's hmm. great. For me, the song is is good. I'm I'm like not a big Powderhead. Powderfinger head. head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not a but, finger banger. No, exactly. Yeah. But um, and this song's good, and and I like I like what you're saying about that, and I think that yeah. that tension is really lovely. But it's just the production is amazing. It's and so I think, warm and lovely. It's yeah, really, it's really immaculately produced, no doubt. Spectacular. So, query, hmm. what for you? Hmm. would take this song from good to great. Because I, I think this song is great. You yeah, seem yeah. to think it's good. I like, know, maybe what, I would, think... what, would, what would take it to the next level for you? Like, like what, a rap what, verse or something. A rap verse, yeah. yeah. <laughs> An ASAP Rocky feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just <like> that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think maybe I just need to spend more time with Powderfinger. Like, and like, yeah, I know this is a good song. Not a great song. 
It's okay. Man. I was like, maybe I'll invest more time. But like, no, you get the shit. We're you get shit on. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Got to go out for the groceries later. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it'll be playing there. No, unfortunately, I think you're too late because we are never going to talk about Powderfinger. Yeah, that's true. Ever again. Can I read a YouTube comment? Please. Read all the YouTube comments. Yeah, it's all about right. this song. It's a, it is, no, it's about this song. You just about PewDiePie. <laughs> well, look. <clears throat> all right. Oh, no. I'm not going to say the name. Oh, uh, no. Maybe afterwards. Oh, this is going to be bad. It's really bad. <laughs> say yeah, the name, Nathan. Really Drag I've always oh. loved this song. Not sure if true, but my, 12, uh, my year 12 English teacher, who I liked very much, told me this song was aimed at Pauline Hanson. At the time, I thought she was the devil because the TV oh, told me so. Uh, at 31 years young, I've decided uh, to enroll to vote for the first time ever and will be voting One Nation. Uh, I wonder if Bernard's attitudes have changed, and if not, does he see a problem with the Muslim-majority West, which is where the demography is headed? Seems the diversity-loving crowd ain't so gung-ho on diversity. Smiley face. Oh, my God. That person uh, needs to, like... Delete this. Yeah, how do you delete someone else's comment? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Honestly, like, and this is completely unrelated now, but I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it all the time because I write a parenting on it, but I think the internet shouldn't be democratic anymore, man. There needs to be rules. <laughs> that comment does not reflect on the quality of the song in any way. Or um, the views of this good podcast. No. Yeah. Or no doubt the views of Powderfinger. Yeah. If they're fucking One Nation people. <laughs> Powderfinger aren't, for the most part, an overtly political band. No. But there are so many bands that have reasonable people in them, I don't understand how you can dismiss, like, clearly the band's politics... Yeah, that's the thing, right? What, are what, inclusive. What musicians do the like the MAGA chuds like? Well, like there's there's no good Kid rock. There's no yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's no good alt right music, right? Like, no, no. Yeah. And so I think for those people, it's it's all about liking an artist and completely disregarding. <laughs> Um, my, and, and not yeah. just like what they say, but clearly what they mean in the music. My yeah. favorite thing has been watching like Reclaim Australia using music in oh. public, and then one by one, every one of those artists shutting them down. Yeah. Like so Barnsley saying fuck off, Oil saying fuck off, Dale Braithwaite saying fuck off, John Russell, Farnham, John Farnham, yeah. Russell Morris, yeah. all these people just like Avery Anderson off. saying, "Sweet, you can use mine, guys." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bound, fuck off. Man. <laughs> Number seven, sorry, sorry. At uh, number seven, there we go, there we go. Hi. Uh, At number seven, this is Jemadar with Harpen. <laughs> Dragging out fans. <laughs> Jebediah at number 7 in the 1998 Hottest 100. That's a song called Harpoon. Andrew. David. This will take some explaining. Mm -hmm. so, to borrow a phrase from the person we were just talking mm -hmm. about. 
Please explain. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, second time this year we were speaking about Harpoon. Earlier yes. I spoke about this, something for Kate first time this ever, The first time this has happened. <laughs> won't, won't happen again for six years. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, right. the same song gets in the countdown twice. Mm. Yes. Mm. But this obviously is the original one by Jebediah, and it is obviously just awesome as hell. <laughs> Everything about like whenever we speak about them, I always mention like the nasal, almost California style that Kev sings in. Like, and it's in just full bunter here. I'm always going to lean into it. I remember loving the shit out of this song as a kid, and I love it as. So a slightly older kid. Hmm. So I'm going to dox myself with revealing my age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fake yeah. names. Fake names. Not, uh, not I'm, tw- I'm 31 years old. Yeah, excellent track. Everybody's in just like full work. Like the. It's funny compared to like some of the other ones we've spoken, other Jebediah tracks we've spoken about that are, have a more explicit kind of punk rock kind of edge or a more kind of obvious fury. But this is kind of like more like. More relaxed and like a daisical kind of manner that this song evolves in, or just kind of drearily drags you along with there, but just like as a like a comforting friend kind of thing like that. It doesn't impose in any way. It's just there to drearily like drive along a slow suburban street with you. I think this is just a beautiful song. It's just so chill. I think it's so interesting that you said like it's a it's a like a friend <laughs> because what I get from this is just like you know when you're a kid and you're at a party and you're drunk and everyone's kind of chilling out just on the lawn and you start to you have what you know a deep and M, mm. right? And you have a deep and meaningful conversation. When, when, is, you, when you said when you were so a kid and you yeah, drunk yeah. at a party, I'm like, man, we had a very no, different childhood. No, yeah. Not when you're like yeah. four, yeah. like early uni or yeah. late high school yeah. or whatever. That's the time where your friend who's normally just a, a larrikin kind of dude is all of a sudden saying like, yeah, man, I broke up with my girlfriend and it really mm. sucks. And that's what this song yeah. is. Like, it, and it like, just I know I joke that- a lot, but underneath those jokes, I'm actually very sad. <laughs> and the way it kind of goes along, and Kevin kind of like allows. Yeet! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adam. He kind of just allows himself to express that more and more. Like, yeah. he gets more and more upset. And just like the way it's so. It's so simple, like the lyrics and the and the emotions. It's just like I I'm heartbroken. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this situation. Like it's a it's a lingering kind of question as they as he kind of explains this situation. It's just so beautiful and simple and naive and youthful. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's young. It's, it's young love. Like, it's, it's, so it's, it's it's a naivety that isn't like. Like when I say when it's naive, that's not in a condescending way. It's no, in it's, no. it's in an aspirational way. Absolutely. I would love to be that naive. Hundred like, yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you almost get nostalgia for being able to feel things with that, that kind of clarity kind of, yeah. and simplicity. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful um, song, man. I love it. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's all it's all punctuated by, like, the really sweet guitar line, which is just done really delicately. The chimes, which could be seen as, like, a little bit cheesy, but I think, like, you lean into it, right? Yeah. And I, the line, I can handle the fighting, it's affection I can't stand, and I don't mind just talking, just don't try and touch my head. Mm, oh, yeah. That is just a magnificent yeah. line. So good. Ah, so good. Yeah. Look, uh, as much as I hate Kevin Mitchell, <laughs> he doesn't know how to write a good song. I'll give him that. No, of course I fucking love this song. Are you kidding? Like, yeah, this is this is beautiful. Like, uh, yeah, this is uh, what uh, this is the origins of what uh, Rusty Hopkinson once described as emu, which is Australian emo. Uh, <laughs> cute, <laughs> bit cute. I'm here for that. Um, yeah, he described uh, Kiss Chasey as being an emu band, and he thought Man, they I haven't thought about them in a hot minute. Yeah, Kiss and Chasey. They returned the favor by uh, for the B side of their next single, covering Berlin Chair. Ah, yeah, which great. is sick. It's really good. When but- your faves like Kiss Chasey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I just, just not my faves. Yeah. He's chasing whip ass. Yeah, I don't fine. care who knows I, I have it. no problem with him. I saw the joke and I had to go for it. Look, we they would talk, understand. We'll talk about them in like five seasons time. Yeah. So be prepared. Um, in the meantime, um, yeah, I love this song. Like there's just a fucking real sense of earnest vulnerability and just like just putting yourself out there. Like, and it's... Like, you can tell they were so goddamn young when this song came out. Like, there's such a naivety to it. You know, there's still just something about that that can just immediately take you back to, you know, a certain time in your life. And, you know, like, this song could mean so many different things to so many different people. And I think that's one of the signs of a great, great song. Um, Yeah. I could tease them all they want. But in the end, (laughs) they wrote Harpoon and I didn't. So, you know... Who, they're not talking about one of my songs on one of their podcasts, like... <laughs> yet. Yes. Gauntlet thrown down. <laughs> so, you guys win. <laughs> okay, this one's going to be difficult. Let's see if I can do this. This is Regurgitator with... Hmm? <laughs> or... <laughs> brackets... The song formerly known as Hit It! with ah the song formerly known as Adam yeah I just did that with an exclamation mark I can tell clever huh? yeah see what I did there this is a great podcast let's <laughs> let's be punctual about punctuation that's what I say yes what do you reckon oh my god yeah like, uh, come yeah. on come on things if, don't get no better if this is not one of the best Australian songs like ever ever I'm talking like easily top 20 maybe top 10 this is a phenomenal song I've always fucking adored it it's just it just absolutely bangs obviously uh, the song being a reference to Prince the whole thing being a bit of a Prince homage going on I've had a moment to this song very very recently I was at um, my mate's wedding and I was quite drunk and was it Quan's? this no 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 not not that close of Quan I would love to go to Quan's wedding (laughs) I don't know if he's married no well you know let's set him up if if not and Quan get on the horn man it's like I you mean to w- contact us or like to ha- like no, call, as in dating I, I calling <laughs> dating getting on the horn <laughs> what, what, what do you think I mean the version of, the, of those two options the one that makes sense and that people use all the time or the one you just made up I guess I okay. mean <laughs> I've heard people use it as the phone thing before but that's <laughs> fine <damn> <laughs> I'm fairly sure that Quan's love life is fine. Yeah. Like, I, when you write a song like this, like, mm. 
As long yeah. as he doesn't like I mean, it was good at the them. time. He was dating Janet from Spinebait, remember? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly right. right. Yeah. Man, he had a great year. He had three songs back to back in the Hottest 100 and a song in the top 10. Dating a chick in the hottest band in Australia. Like, fucking dude was on Cloud Nine. So this was a song that now the, the clearest and most recent association I have to it is just being absolutely smashed at my mate's wedding because that's the party that you go to in your late 20s. <laughs> it's like your friend's getting married um, on the dance floor and, and my phone fell out of my pocket and smashed on the ground and everyone was like, oh, and I was just like, it's fine. There, there are bigger <laughs> things going on right now. And it, and it was like, Adam, I don't. I don't think it's fine. It, was like, it wasn't fine. But, no. at the, but at the time, when you're in a suit and you're booging on the dance floor and this song is playing, yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> you're um, just stomping on it during the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! But the brilliant irony about the whole thing is that, like, according to this song, I wasn't having a real party then. The real party is staying at home, in your track pants, <laughs> hanging out with the missus, watching TV, or just having a quiet little boogie Checking with your on own some mm. Man! Is that the phone? Is that the phone there? This is how oh, you got it repaired. Ah, nice. Yeah. Brilliant regurgitator irony coming through once again. You write the banger of all time, and it's about not going out. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. about yeah. staying at home. Take Too a good. freaking Listen, bow, you it, geniuses. That's, that's a real Quan thing to do. He's so all, He's all about that kind of irony in expressions. Yes. He's all about it. And this is like, just saying like... The music's always much too loud. Like it is always it's much too loud. loud. But the way it's like it's just coming through with this thick as hell. Like there is no sound system that is big enough and loud enough <laughs> for this song. And yet he's saying like music's always up too loud. I I don't want to deal with crowds and yeah. like I'm not I'm not fashionable enough to go out. It's like cigarettes what? and alcohol are up his butt for some <laughs> reason. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. I don't know how it got there. Yeah, like did you do that? Like I mean, I swear I tripped, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, I can see you being in a in a club and like you've never done a cigarette or an alcohol before. It's like ah, oh, oh, you just panic. <laughs> done an alcohol? Do you think <laughs> taking beers do- is cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, and it's all self-evident, right? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm saying words, but it's like, man, if you've heard this song once, you know. Yeah. As King Push it. once said, if you know, you know. You know. Hell yeah. Sounded I've been dancing like to this since I was a literal child. Dancing around on the couch on my... In, in my house. Well, not my house. My, my parents owned it. Uh, <laughs> in my living room in Nera. Bloody fucking having a good old time. I remember this video very distinctly because it's all of them standing around being super touristy in Japan. Ben Eli throws up the horns, uh, and I also found out the difference. That, just throwing up the horns with the thumb in, the thumb tucked in, that's the devil horns. That's rock on. Metal. But with the thumb out, that is sign language for I love you. Yeah. Yeah, right. True story. Thumb in, thumb out. Either way, it's a positive thing. Nothing more rock than love. And it's mm. fun to do. Nothing so, more metal than being deaf. Hell yeah. <laughs> what? I, I remember the video very specifically as well. Um, I think it was more, one of my first kind of cultural awarenesses of like the neon hyperness of Tokyo. Yeah, so, like, totally, stuck in my totally. memory for a while. Oh, but, yeah. so perfect for this song. Yeah. I think with every Gurge song we've spoken about, we're like, yeah, man, I like that they can do this as well. I like they can do this as well. I like they can do this as well. But it's like, you know what? If they could just do this, I'd still <laughs> be love okay. them. Like, yeah. This is just so banging, man. It's like so exciting and thrilling and just throbbing. And yeah, it is perfect dance music, yeah. ironically, about the perfect night in. Yeah. 
Which just makes it for everybody. It's, it's, yeah, it is for everyone, yeah. Like, you can kind of enjoy it from any angle. If, like, you, you kind of get to be there, like, oh, I, you know, if you don't like parties, you're like, yeah, this is my song. Yeah. But it's also just But if you like party, party, you can party yeah. the song. Everything going on here, like, oh, that, like, nasty bass. It's got some fucking sauce on it. Like, oh, And it's so, it's so graceless. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. It's just... And then a couple of those, like, super high up, like, Prince chords. Like, that Nile Rodgers kind of, like, all the way up top doing, like, real, like, super intrinsic chord inversions. You can tell, like, they just, like, put the low-end speakers way up. Like, there's all <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the yeah, mixing yeah. table, like, low-end up. And it's, like, it's distorting. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, how much fun would you have just going like oh yes I get to do a Prince song and of course ending on the greatest fucking way you can end a song apart from the fake out of Save the Day thank you Mr. DJ thank you Mr. always DJ. thank the DJ when you're getting off the bus <laughs> yeah <laughs> I always thank the DJ when I get off the bus <laughs> the, the driver no just the guy on the bus you think looks most like a DJ no I'm trying to think what DJ stands for in terms of a bus driver mm. uh, the the drive drive driver jockey. John ah yeah the drive jockey yeah, yeah. the drive, drive jockey, jockey. Yeah. 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 yeah wasn't that hard yeah. <laughs> what's, what's wrong oh. with you <laughs> I was trying for something better than that Adam <laughs> but it finds what's wrong with the bus standards you're trying too hard it the was bus right gets there. one flat tyre and you have to put it down sorry, sorry bus <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> Easy, big fella. <laughs> you live a long That'll life. That'll do. <laughs> oh, my God. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, though. Not, oh, not, my not, God. Guys, 2019, Melbourne Cup, replace the horses the, with buses. Th- that, but not ironically in any way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Fuck. That would be... We're booking out Olympic Park. I would happily Park. watch a bus race. Yeah. We're booking awesome. out Olympic Park and we are doing this. We're going to use the same track as the Krusty Demons. It's going to be sick. I'd watch a bus race, man. Yes! Bus sure. race 2019. <laughs> I think bus races are... But you do want specifically, like, shitty Sydney buses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, bus like, them is going bunta. Because, like, the, the, the damage would be impressive. The 2019 <laughs> bunta bus race coming to a track near you. Just grinding gears. Like... <laughs> 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 Still going to make the stops. Instead of lapsing... Yeah, instead of lapsing, going to pick people up on the way. This, the one bus that, like, gets put down is the one where it's like the back doors don't close properly yeah. they keep opening it's like oh yeah tough it's, yeah. Like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like why is it like I, I tapped on well it said you didn't but it, I don't know like, <laughs> and you know who's gonna play at the Bunta bus race at the halftime motherfucking regurgitator they should they yeah. absolutely should guys this is your destiny fuck yeah regurgitator fuck yeah Sydney fuck yeah hottest one hundreds and thousands the way from Bakersfield with the song Got the Life at number five in the 1998 Hardest 100. Gentlemen, behold corn! So that's how you say the backwards are.
in at number five in the 1998 Hottest 100. That's a song called Got the Life. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I like new metal and I like the band Corn a whole lot. Here's my trajectory with the band Corn. 1998 to, or let's say 2009, 2010. Fuck yeah, Corn a fucking sick. 2010 to, or let's say like 2015, 2016. Huh. Can you imagine? I used to like corn. Ha! The folly of youth. 2016 to present. Corn are fucking sick! You wanna know why? This song is a fucking disco beat in it. The most masculine macho song in the Hottest 100 has a fucking roller disco beat. You can put on skates and go around in a fucking circle at the Bunta Bus Derby to this song. It just bumps in the whip. It's just such a great song. That huge drop A, it's guttural. Like, drop A is the one of the lowest possible tunings you can get like it's all the way down there like you feel it in the guts man especially with the bass like and churning away on like super dissonant chord shapes and then having davis just going fucking mental over the top of it this was played on the radio i know i've, so I've said this several times but i cannot stress this enough mainstream radio not just triple j this was a crossover corn Corn! From this era where, like, corn, like, um, Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson! System of a Down! Like, heaps of stuff that was coming through was making that crossover. We have never seen anything like that before or since. It's a phenomenon that is, like, unheard of. Well, I think just because the music landscape has changed so much. I I just think it's fascinating, like, just to see how much things have changed. And so I see, I see Got the Life, right, as, like, a symbol of a time where, like, Drop A and, like, Dudes with Dreads were in the mainstream. They were in the zeitgeist, man. And I think about that every single time I listen to this song, which I cannot stress enough, is a lot. 20 years on from this song coming out, I still listen to this song at least once a month, and every time I'm like, fuck yeah, corn. There, this was never going to be an eloquent, like, oh, well, if you listen to the tonality, it's very... <laughs> oh, no, this song I, just fucking I, uh... rules. This song slaps harder than Fieldy, and Fieldy, I don't know if you know, slaps pretty hard on that fucking bass. Mm. Gentlemen, corn, do your worst. I'm actually with you, man. Yes! This song honestly makes me think that perhaps we were too harsh on new metal. You're goddamn right let, we were. Because, let, because let me thank you. What we weren't harsh enough on. <laughs> yeah. oh, but like, but like, hear me out, right? Because like, new metal was you could generously look at a time of experimentation. Like, it was a genre where we go like, well, we're going to throw out everything that came before in favour of just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and so you have occasional flashes of brilliance that come from that of course you get a lot of things that just devolves into rap rock with really heavy guitars right but you also get like things like 
Deftones putting out White Pony, which is like, cool, what happens if we had a little bit of a shoegaze flavour to it? You know, you get things like Mudvayne... see you're trying to win me over. <laughs> <You get, laughs> Mudvayne playing with, like, bass harmonics in the middle of their riffs and these, like, really wired-out kind of chemical-sounding bass tones in the album LV50. You've got System of a Down having folky Armenian harmonies coming in the middle of their songs. And then you've got this track, which is as if it's carved out of a solid fuckton of obsidian. It's that dark and it's that heavy and yet as you say Deej it has a disco beat behind yeah, it it's, it's, it's like Dave Silvera man my boy and it's just all about that disco beat the rhythm section it is putting in such serious and interesting work throughout this whole thing yep. and creating a metal song that you can dance to and the like, drums are the first thing you hear the boom that snare that snare that is a punch in the fucking face that Frenzel would approve of this is boom my, my, try to win us over <laughs> like even some of the weirder moments in it like the, the get your boogie on and some of the oh dude I do the running man every time that shit comes on there's a few like weird kind of almost cringy kind of things going oh, but on then, but then, then, then that bit goes into another great bit that three snare hit right back into the verse. Oh, just the fact that it is such a dance floor song. Like, yeah, man. I just think of like it's just like a dance floor of the damned, which kind of goes back to what I think the meaning of the song is. It's just kind of like whatever, whatever the life is for you. For for Davis, when he wrote this song, he was talking about it being like fame and whatever, and saying like how being trapped in the fame machine was kind of making him miserable. It's kind of a similar line to what Manson was towing, I guess. But knowing that like if he was outside of the fame game, he'd probably be even more upset. But I think you know when he says like you've already got the life, it's kind of like the way that you project your fears out about the way that you want to live and not yeah. or not wanting to live and then realizing oh shit I'm already part of that I can't escape from it and then you know the result is so often you get numbed out and you just you just get your boogie on to kind of just get through it. That's my solution to everything. Yeah, and that's what I think this song is kind of representing. It's like you're dancing, but you're, you're kind of just numbed out, you're, or you're really pissed off or whatever. You're moving out of that frustration and that anger and whatever. This has become, like, a such a go-to gym song for me. Like That's and it's, sick. And it's because, like, I've been reintroduced to Korn from doing this podcast, and I just... On a whim one day went, you know what, what the fuck? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna play some of the big bigger corn songs and some of them's like doesn't work for me, doesn't really hit for me. But this song I was like, no, nah, that's this is fucking great. This slaps us, for me. And us, it's grown on me throughout the course us, of the year. Spotify says this is one of my most played songs. Hell yes! Yeah! That's my shit. I just think this is a singular moment. In fucking new metal and in metal in general, and it's just weird enough, and I like a disco beat. I don't even care what you two think. That's I don't fine. even care. Well, I kind of care. What do you? <laughs> what do you guys? It just fucking sucks, man. Yeah, <laughs> eat right. my entire right. balls. Yeah, just, go on, go just, on. It's just fucking crappy. Like, <laughs> okay, no, like this is definitely better than like any Limp Biscuit song or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Careful. <laughs> I get what you're saying with terms of like the id of it is powerful and yeah. just like the lizard brain dance and the anger of it all is all present and the darkness kind of like that. Yeah. But it's like n- none of the sounds are good ones. <laughs> they, they, they actually picked the bad ones from the library of sounds. 
Right. Yeah. There's nothing. No, there's nothing fucking appealing about it. I love that guitar riff and that and the way that the bass creates that texture and like I know, my and fa- the disco. Do I need to mention the disco beat again? Yeah. My favorite thing about Corn, um, which I've brought off my phone here, I'll post it and post the episode, is from a late '90s like a music mag or a tech mag, and it's a picture <laughs> of uh, Jonathan Davis at a computer, and the caption is Jonathan Davis from Corn is an avid chat monster hanging out with Corn fans every day for hours at a time. And that is by far my favourite thing about Corn. Do you know he played? Um, Fuck yeah, he played World of Warcraft really seriously. Yeah, right. He was big in World of Warcraft. Mm. Yeah, they have a pretty funny cameo in South Park. Yeah, they seem like cool guys. Well, and he walked. <laughs> they, seem, they, seem, they seem like they would bully me if I wore makeup. <laughs> well, just don't wear makeup. Just don't then, man. Just, just don't do yourself. Not, not, not around them. <laughs> yeah, I can't even critique it. I think it's just a crap song. I thought it fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I don't like new metal. I don't like Corn. <laughs> Nathan, help I just me don't out. understand. Like, I just don't understand the appeal. Yeah, even <laughs> though, even though you've both just talked at length about the appeal, I don't understand. It's like they're talking about a different song, yeah. 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 Okay. I did. Is it, it was, got the it, life? <laughs> we talking about the same song? Yeah. Okay. Well then, all right. dude, it came as much as a surprise to me. As you. All I right. was not expecting to end 2018 being like, Corn's Got the Life is maybe one of my favourite songs I, in this I, countdown. Do Corn fans have a name? Well, uh, Are they like... Cobblers. Yeah. Cobblers. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. No, no, no. Children of the Corn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Of course. I, of I mean, course. This, yeah, I wouldn't call myself one of those. I like this song. Well, I would. It sounds like you are one of those. Well, when it comes it, to this song, yeah. sounds like you're a classic self-hating children of the corn. Hey. Yeah. If, if, the, if the little pointy corn-holding things fit... <laughs> You stick, yeah. up, you stick them in yeah. hard enough. Yeah, then you're on the cob. I think... I'm on the cob. <laughs> All right, as far yeah. as this song goes, I'm you're on, on the cob. cob. I'm yeah. on the cob. If you like cob. corn, you're on the cob. Yeah. Cob you with got, a K. And you guys are... And <laughs> <laughs> a backwards B. It's a cod. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know me. I'm really... I'm so into cord. I'm so totally on the cod. <laughs> I don't begrudge anyone liking this song. I just right, don't understand it. Yeah, thanks. I would begrudge them making me listen to it. <laughs> so, in a sense, the voting audience of 1998. Were um, you not invited to my birthday then? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, Am yeah. I? Well, if the cob holder things fit, whatever Andrew <laughs> said. <laughs> What can you say about our next band that hasn't already been said? I like to think of their front woman as an iconic superstar. I like to think of her as one of the most important songwriters of the 90s. But above all and beyond, I like to consider her my friend! And number four, this is Celebrity Skin by Hole. Oh, make me over. Look at my face 
coming in at number four in the 1998 Hottest 100, the title track. Celebrity Skin is the name of the record. Andrew McDonald is the name of the man. And the name of the opinion is... <laughs> Obviously Slaps. Hey, yeah. yeah. yeah I, this is a terrific song. I, um, this is everything that classic era of Hole do so well. It's a marrying... The fact that Courtney can't seem to get away from the fact that she knows her way around a pop hook with the yeah. fact that she's do- that she's really, really into writing grunge music or post-grunge or whatever, alternative rock. But like it's almost like, ah, uh, try as you might, you can't help but write heaps good hooks, Courtney. You're good at that, sorry. Um, and also uh, the obviously ridiculous riff written by oh Billy Corgan. God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. William um, Patrick co- Corgan. Mm, co-writer of this song with... The boy uh, who lived. Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... Eric, for also from Hole, the three of them wrote this. So good, gets in and out in like two minutes forty. Oh, it's so just, lean. Yeah, just punk rock. So like, lean. Yeah, and like that's got to be one of the most iconic few seconds of a song in the nineties. Like it's just undeniable. But even just the, the, like the first three seconds. And it's like it's, it's such a simple riff. It, yeah. it, it does. Like, exa- how did no one do that before yeah. this? Like it's how did they only great- just invent celebrity skin? So much about the tone and the oh, energy yeah. and the attack and the aggression and honestly the fact that it's followed up by Courtney yeah and the fact that this is a song that's purely rage and it's Courtney's own personal rage but she's channeling that on behalf of an entire community in this song it's so so good like she's she's a Californian every woman right she's She's rebelling against the idea of like how women are commodified so often yeah. and then just disposed of when they reach a certain age where <laughs> yeah, that's celebrity skin. This is like like that's named like, after a pornography magazine. Yeah. She's ridiculously unfairly denigrated by the press exactly. and also the music industry and casual fans and serious fans. Um um, Pretty much everyone. Yeah. Um, she's gotten a really unfair shake of the stick. But he like the fact that like references to Merchant of Venice Eugene O'Neill Res- yeah a, a, yep. a Rossetti poem called A Superscription like she knows her shit mm. she's writing a clever goddamn song but then like I like your term Deej we refer to songs as Trojan horse songs yeah like, yeah yeah she hides all these clever like obscure references to high art and low art I like Shakespeare and pornography yeah 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 and hides them all like there's juxtaposing ideas and there's juxtaposing ideas about celebrity and these complex things but masks it all in a two minute 40 punk rock song yeah it rips man it's so good the cool thing about that is that you can appreciate the song on so many more levels because of that you can just appreciate the song because it fucking slaps and it's called a fucking bang your head to but you can also just genius the fuckers yeah. so that's a reference to that that's a and on every level you can come away from it being like yeah this is fucking incredible this is an immaculate piece of work this is one of my favorite fucking songs of this era this is next level and i think it really now that i look back on it really painted the way i saw women in music and i it all comes back to courtney and by extension also melissa off to mm. and and patty shamel as well who i got to see drum with the band upset a few years ago when they toured with white lung and getting to watch her play up close was so sick i'm just like holy shit she's right there 
It was very funny. I had my booklet of celebrity skin for her to sign, and then a friend of mine was just like, "You know, she didn't play on that record, right?" There was like a whole drama. This is like, "I'm gonna put that away now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna shake her hand." We've talked about a bunch of songs this year, particularly that are all about artists sort of responding to the ideas of fame and and celebrity. Uh, like recently, Got the Life by Corn. Yeah, recently we talked about a, a track by Corn. Um, <laughs> this is yeah. the Marilyn Manson song um, a bit earlier. That subject matter always sits really uneasy with me because they're still very, I guess, complicit in... And also, like, oh, this is going to be the obvious Tism reference here. <laughs> oh, but, no. um, oh, yeah, I was fucking wondering. Yeah, well, this, this, uh, I'm, at least I'm calling it out now because the secret is <laughs> the cat's yeah. out of the bag. But, like, in the um, Tism song line, you'd be happier if I could be more depressed. This idea of, like, yeah... Oh, woe is you, you famous, rich, adored, multi-millionaire. Your life must be so fucking difficult. Yeah. Try, try a real job and a job and a boss who's not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what makes this song work so well is kind of what you were saying before. Courtney has never been in control of her own yeah. narrative. Yes. No. And yes. she's been the victim of a music discourse that has antagonized her very unreasonably. And so her writing a song like this punches that much harder because it's her fighting back against the culture that she works in, but also the attitudes that are being flung at her from all sides. Yeah, as long as if she's like, when like Marilyn Manson does it in um, The Dope Show, like when those kind of things like that, it's like, oh yeah, man, being famous is a double-edged sword. But Courtney's like, no, no, like, I, I, I don't think Courtney's like, I don't want to be famous. She's like, I don't want everybody controlling who the fuck I am as a human being. Yeah. Like, mm. she never existed as a musician who met a musician. She existed as... Kurt Cobain's wife and then Kurt Cobain's potential murderer and then Kurt Cobain's exploitator and then the junkie woman from grunge like she's never had the control yeah. of her own fucking narrative you're spot on yeah yeah and here she's advocating for a bunch of people who are in similar situations throughout the industry that she's seeing in Hollywood because that's entirely what that is yeah like it's, it's rife with it you're right like th that narrative makes the rage so interesting and so much easier to get behind and the fact yeah. that it's She's leading a crusade with this track. It's just so dope. Man, it's awesome. And also, like, it's just an interesting thing. I'm not sure, like, how many people know this, but there was a period, I think it was, it must have been years, decades before the Me Too movement made it, made it public. But right. she was at, at, on a red carpet thing, and a reporter asked her, what, what's your advice to young women in the entertainment industry? And she grabbed the mic and said, Harvey Weinstein never asked you to come up to his hotel room, run away. Right. She, like, people, because oh, it, it was an open secret in the fucking industry, and she just calls it out. And then, of course his media influence further fucking damages her goddamn image as a junkie that fucking classic goddamn rich white guy narrative of the unreasonable woman yeah, that yeah. she is like so easily to like take that role on kind of thing because she has fucking drug addiction problems like fuck off man I feel fucking bad for her and she 100%. wrote some hell good songs like this one this one fucking rules mm. and also it's uh, just on the Weinstein thing it's worth noting that uh, came back and wrote this song after she'd made an attempt to actually get into Hollywood and do some acting stuff. Man on the Moon was around this point. Yeah, she was in a bunch of stuff around this point. Uh, this song is also the very last time that we will talk about Hole. Honestly, not surprising. But, yeah, but I mean, they split up like a couple of years later. Yeah, I mean, go out on a high, I guess. Yeah, the, going doing this podcast has made me realize how much fucking Hole were essential to the music scene at that time. Yeah, and how much of a records, great band man. they were. Because I'd only known them per peripherally before coming in and doing this, and having a look at these tracks, it's like Hole rule. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. thanks Hole. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And number three is Custard. 
Girls like that. Open bracket. Don't go. Guys like us. Close bracket. Hottest 100 with a song called Girls Like That Don't Go For Guys Like Nathan Harrison Whoa It was me Yeah it was you all along I guess That's fine it Means you're like custard Yeah well I do yeah. like custard no, so yeah. It means you, it means you are like custard And I do Yeah Yeah. <laughs> Good bit actually yeah. Yeah. yeah This is just such a fun song This is one of the big Custard songs I think probably this in apartment It's the biggest Yeah, yeah surely See, I mean, for me, it was always the numbers don't lie. For me, it was <laughs> also apartment. Yeah, apartment was like my introduction to custard, and for a while, it was like that was the only custard song I knew. This mm. was the first custard song I'd heard. Nice, Adam. Did you know custard before this podcast? No, oh, that doesn't surprise mm, me. Kind of cool. I did not. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. The more you know. <laughs> um, this this is a great song. This is just like super fun. The bass. Like right from the start, this is like it's it's silly and fun musically, yeah, which is just great. And then you know, I think the setup of the song, you know, girls like that don't go for guys like us, is a bit like okay, but then <laughs> it very quickly devolves in typical custard fashion into weird science fiction and constantly comparing him to Ulio Iglesias, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And maybe you need to go to South America to sort this out. I love, I love the, uh, the in the first bit when he mentions Julio Iglesias, you get the really shitty computer going Julio Iglesias, and then the second part when he mentions South America, it says Julio Iglesias again. So fucking funny, stupid. It's just the you know I I might live to regret this in the morning because I'm considering a trip to South America because I guess he struck out with a girl like and Julio Iglesias clearly would not. Julio Iglesias is doing all right. He would be all over that. Yeah. Have you guys listened to much Julio Iglesias? No, I know his sound. Yeah, I know his son. I read it. Uh, every I've spent a lot of time with his son over the years. Oh yeah, Enrique. Let me be your hero. Especially, hmm. yeah. I feel like I can't name them, but I feel like I have enjoyed Enrique songs before. <laughs> yeah. So my first job was at a fruit shop, and for about six months or so, the only music in the fruit shop was uh, an Julio Iglesias best of. They live within my heart. On repeat. Yeah, right. I'm going to do a really big throwback. Remember when we were talking about Beck, and we were saying if Beck's music was fruit, what <laughs> fruit would it be? Yeah. What oh fruit god. Or oh, eggplant. No, that man a horny AF. Yeah, I guess. I, I but eggplant is good. What's what's a fruit that only old people like? Mm. Wait, are we talking good Julio person, or Enrique? Yeah. We're talking Julio, Julio or Julio. Julio. Oh, Well, you know what? Give me both. Yeah. Let, let's go through the arena. What's um, <laughs> Iglesias family, Jane? Is, is persimmon good? 
I know. I don't think I actually had one. Bad to work with because they're so soft. So there you go. Much like Julio is famously bad to work with in the studio because he's too soft. Okay. Producer's like, you need to make a call. Which track are we using? He's like, oh, I don't know. All right. So Enrique, Julio's a person. I don't know Enrique as well. Well, you know the track, yeah, Hero, obviously, uh, and and Heartbeat. Did he do that one? Yeah, yeah, with uh, Nicole Scherzinger. That's a mm. banger. Oh. Um, Bailamos. That's another fucking ripper. I love. Oh, I, I like it. Had, with he, had a, he had one in 2014. Like he had yeah, yeah. Tonight one. I'm fucking you. <laughs> do what? I think that was oh, it? yeah. No, the radio version was Tonight I'm Loving You. Huh. <laughs> yeah. The song is called The explicit I'm version is Tonight I'm Fucking You. So I guess he has to man. be an eggplant then. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The numbers don't lie. Yeah. Doubling back. Man, well, I'm glad we sorted that out. How yeah. funny that those radio edits are things where it's just like, like obviously the, the main one is let's get it started. Let's yeah. get it started. I'm not yes, even saying course. the other one because it's just not a word that you <laughs> fucking use. Very funny choice. Black Eyed Peas, Will I Am and the other ones. Mm. All of the peas. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Okay. I, I know they're no. named after a food. Is this... Mm. Okay. What vegetable slash fruit is, is custard? Oh. <laughs> no, Great, bringing no. it back. I mean, there's the custard apple, but... The custard... Oh! People aren't into custard the, they're apples. They're kind of not good, though. No, what they're the not. fuck is a cu- Is that just literally what I think it is? No, it's not as no. good as what you think it is. Uh. <laughs> it's like a... It's really soft. So you're not nice. Uh. I don't think you'd like it. Uh, but, it and sounds, you do like custard. It sounds fucked. Yeah, mm. it is. Well, the fruit would have to be something very fun. Fuji apple. Kiwi. Yeah. Kiwi fruit. Watermelon. Furry on the mm, outside, a little bit weird. Open it up. Oh, oh, just, oh, sweet and fun. <gasps> and even better with the skin. You eat kiwis with the skin. It's so much nicer. Wow. Eat it, eat it what like are you a peach. talking about? They're no, so, no, it's really good. I refuse to eat no, it like a peach. Try it next time you have a kiwi. I'm you not too, doing dear that. listener. Nathan. <laughs> no, <I'm gonna> <laughs> <cut>. <laughs> Cut it up like a sensible human being. Yeah, with my with my chompers. Not at all. Oh, with your chompers, with a knife. <laughs> How do you think they ate kiwi fruits before they invented knives? They probably we were evolved different. We had we had knives. We Indian people. We had claws then, <laughs> just for kiwi. Fruits. Yep. They're an important fruit. They're very high in vitamin C. They've got like way more vitamin C than like a lot of other fruits. They're like Surely a super. A they're the, like a super a food. No one's talking about vitamin C in the skin. skin. No, it's in the fruit. All of that shit's in the skin, man. It's in the skin, too, maybe. More of it's in the skin. Celebrity skin. Hey, remember? So, I'm not doing it. (laughs) I'm I'm eating, I'm peeling kiwis. It's a good song, though. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, um, yeah, this is a a, a weird one because usually when we go off on our much skipped over tangents, (laughs) it's because they're (laughs) much derided and plus 15 (laughs) plus 15 highlight reel Um, the songs are just going but this song is very fun very silly that's how Adam's phone broke he was hammering the 15 (laughs) (laughs) goes to the doctor with his thumb launched in the screen (laughs) he's just like you've been listening to the hottest 107 here (laughs) but doctor I am DJ (laughs) White Uh, it is a very good song though I don't really like it Really? Ooh. Can I just do what you did for Corn and just say I think it sounds crappy? Because I think it sounds wow. crappy Wow You can't do that about a song uh, They accidentally picked the wrong sounds <clears throat> That's how I feel wow. about this one oh, like the I'm not 
I'm not just I'm not just returning fire here. It yeah. just so happens that you used the description that kind of fits with how I feel with this song. Honestly, the changes in the opening they kind of make me feel a little bit nauseous. I don't know why. Hmm. Okay, it's bad for my gut health. I guess you are famously not into custard as a food stuff as well. I famously, yeah. You've seen you've seen my posts. <laughs> I've seen you throwing like go, going into Woolworths. I've seen the custard labels. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not for me, <laughs> but maybe for you. It was you're still on Big Custard's dollar. Yeah, it's weird that they Just, did that. I wasn't going to say no. You were your arms crossed, looking stern. Maybe <laughs> and Adam oh. buy some custard. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not for me. I like Apartment. In fact, I've liked any other Custard song we've talked about. This song, bit of a nut. I, I like how weird it is. I like I like the Julio Iglesias. I like that. I like moving to South America. This I feels just, like it's just because of the corn thing. It's not because of the corn thing. I'm not that petty. I wouldn't do that. I'm not that petty. I mean, is I this a I'm projecting. Is this a, I know it's a very, very common statistic that you always think of, but is this the first time I've had two songs in 1998 back-to-back with the bands that both named after foodstuffs? Just forgetting about a hole. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, Ooh, between them, there was nothing but a hole. So, yeah. oh, I don't know. Yeah. I, call my, I, yeah. I call my mouth a food hole. Mm. <laughs> okay. What? Wait, so, like, <laughs> remember when we were going through the fan mail on the remix mm. episode? Yeah. And fucking old mate who did the Twitter thread? <laughs> Didn't he say that this was like a, he was just like, oh, it's like some sort of like MRA thing? Uh, it's an like, anthem for incels, I believe. Oh, anthem oh. for incels. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That was good content, yeah, though. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. Like, is this song cancelled, yeah. sis? Is that is that the tea? It is, like, a band writing a song, Girls Like That Don't Go For Guys Like Us, is like, oh, really? But but I, I think Cause they they're take being to that silly weird with place. it. They're yeah. taking the piss, but... I think there is an element of sincerity to it because they're a dorky band, but also, like... If you I, cared, I, I, I you wouldn't sing about it, is the thing. Yeah, but also, like, I, I don't want to hand wave it away and be like, oh, it was a different time, but, like, it kind of was a different time. It, you it could literally write it. was. You, you could write an innocuous song ago. about how pop, popular, gorgeous women don't like dorks and not be cringy. And if you write it today, it would be suitably dragged. Yeah. yeah. But you like this song, Deitch? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's sardonic and dorky and just like, yeah, obviously very playful and all done with a bit of a bit of a Dave Graney wink. I definitely prefer like Apartment and, you know, a couple of other custard tracks. But yeah, I'll, I would be a, a barefaced liar if I said I'd never had fun to this song. And I want to be truthful. I want to stand in my truth. Nice. I I think honesty is the best policy when it comes to this podcast, and I would like to believe that I've never lied to you people. Not about uh, Nathan having a child, or being like a a raver. All true. All true. But yeah, girls like that might not go for guys like them, but guys like me do go for guys like them. The frogs are allowed to do what they want. (laughs) (laughs) At number From the album Breathing Tornadoes, this is Ben Lee with Cigarettes Will Kill You.
making his debut in the hottest 100 at number two. That's a song called Cigarettes Will Kill You. It is the opening song and lead single from his third solo album called Breathing Tornadoes, which came out on the 16th of November 1998. It was distributed internationally on the Beastie Boys label Grand Royal. It was one of the last releases that they did. Yeah, um, he was on the Beastie Boys label no, I, in the States. I believe you, but I just like, you've just got the facts, man. Let me tell you a thing or two. I am eight years old. I am watching the television program Rage. As I am watching this, I see a scrawny 20-something completely covered in white paint and dust and wearing only jeans walking down the streets of New York City making very weird facial expressions and mouthing the words to what I would later learn was the song Cigarettes Will Kill You. The man doing the mouthing was Ben Lee, who also happened to sing, write, and perform most of this song. I am enraptured from the opening piano riff. I am completely hooked in. What is this? Who is this? What's his story? It is from there, that moment on, that my 20-year love affair, slash love hate affair, slash hate love late love hate affair, with Ben Lee, begins. I obsess over this song. I think about this song every single day. The second it comes on the radio, I turn it up. I cannot escape this song. Not long after I buy my first ever album, which is Neon Ballroom by Silverchair, I get told, oh, hey, you can get something for it's either like my confirmation or like my birthday or something. It's like, what do you want? I want that. I want the album that that is on. The album is called Breathing Tornadoes. As I mentioned, it's his third solo album after breaking away from uh, the band that he started as a teenager called Noise Addict. Uh, They made one album called Meet the Real You, which is really fun. It's like a thrashy teenage rock record. He made two solo folk punky acoustic records, one called Grandpa Wood in 1995 and one in 1997 called Something to Remember Me By. This is the first time that he expands out his sound. There are drum loops, there are samples, there are keys, there are piano, there's bass. Like, pretty much all of the previous records was literally just Ben solo playing acoustic guitar. Here he's like 19, about to turn 20. He's got this teenage symphony to God, like, full widescreen, like, Brian Wilson vision for his music. And he fulfills it. He makes what is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated albums of all time. I will lay down my fucking life for Breathing Tornado by Ben Lee. I am fully aware how naff and kale and like hippy dippy this motherfucker is now. Kale. This I, mother- like, I like kale as an this adjective. Motherfuck- this motherfucker is so hippie goddamn dippy. His father-in-law is Donovan. Like the hippie, like mellow yellow songwriter Donovan, um, whose daughter I own Sky is married to Ben Lee. Like I'm fully aware he's like a complete sensitive new age guy these days. But at this time he was just this wonder kind like teenage prodigy that like got discovered when he was like 13, 14 years old. Second show he ever played was opening for Sonic Youth. Jesus. Yeah. He's a veteran of like 25 years and he's 40. He turned 40 this year. His birthday is September 11th, but that's another story entirely. Uh here we are. 
at this very, very crucial point in his career where things are about to take off in a massive, massive way. It all begins here, from that immediate, unmistakable piano loop to that drum loop to those bizarre, like, surrealist, avant-garde kind of lyrics and imagery. Everything about this just clicks into the Australian psyche. There's a lot of extensive metaphor going on here. Like, it's kind of got that just, like, this could mean... Like, Teen Spirit, like, this could mean anything you want it to mean. And it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And I think there's something fucking beautiful about that. But there's also something so universal about a line, like, it must feel good to stand above me while I make you so proud of me. It must feel good that I'm now gone. I wish I could say that everyone was wrong. Like, it's, it's, it's as, like, defiant and as angry as, like, here we are now, entertain us. It's just, like... We all have, like, higher-ups and we all have people that we want to defy and the the people that we want to escape from and shit like that. Whether that's, like, immediate, like, relationships or, like, within uh, the confines of our family. And I'm hearing this as, like, an eight-year-old and it's fucking speaking to me, man. I hear this as an 18-year-old. It's speaking to me. I hear this as a 28-year-old and it is still speaking to me. And I am even older now than Ben Lee was when he wrote this song. So imagine the kind of impact that this is having on me as a child. I am completely fucking blown away every time I think about this song. When I was 19 years old, I was walking around with one finger up my nose and one directly up my asshole. I had no fucking clue what was going on. I can't even imagine going, okay, here's how it's gonna sound. Like this full symphony of samples and sounds and three-part harmonies and everything. I can't imagine having everything so figured out at 19 going on 20. He was like, he was 19 when he wrote this. He was 20 when the album came out. It's just mind-boggling to me. Every time I listen to this record, I pick up something new. I learn something new. I discover something that I didn't discover before. And there's something about this song in particular that just fucking destroys me and I don't know how to like properly convey that without just like going into hyperbole but that's what this song is for me that's what this song has always done for me it's just something that makes me feel less alone and sometimes that's all you need like sometimes I've just been walking around I've just put this song on and I've just felt better immediately this album has been a lifeline for me for 20 goddamn years it's the second album I ever bought I can't unsee it from any other perspective I know that people don't like this song I know people don't like this song purely just because they hate Ben Lee I've been in that exact same position where I haven't liked an artist just because of the circumstances surrounding that artist or that band or anything like that. I understand circumstantial hate. I've been there, I've done that, and I've bought the t-shirt. But I also bought this album for $29.95 from the Rock Factory in Nowra, New South Wales, Australia in the summer of 1999, and it changed my fucking life. That's just so 
so fucking beautiful. I, like, I want Ben Lee to hear you say that shit. Mm. That's so, so fucking beautiful. Like, I've, Thanks, man. I, I had this record as a child as well. My mum had yeah. a bunch of Ben Lee records. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, everybody, I fell off the radar with him with, like, when he, like... <laughs> Started the, putting flowers on his mic stands and that, shit. No, yeah. no, that, that, that's kind of sweet. <laughs> but um, just the, like, the gamble everything for love stuff, and I don't right, really buy yeah, into that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I always thought this song was really cool, and just, like, uh, the piano's really charming, and it's really well... Yeah, and it's so Wilson recognizable Orkins. as well. It's just yeah, like, the orchestration yeah. of it all and the way it all put, fits together. It's really, like, I, in my head, I, I thought this was just going to be a song that we all were like, yeah, man, cool song. I was really... Man, that's a beautiful story. Thank I, you. I, beautiful hmm. shit. I, I like this song. I've never had a strong connection with Ben Lee. I think the Ben Lee I like is me looking past... Between this and Catch My Disease, like... That's what yeah. I was thinking of. Thank you, yeah. I don't like Catch My Disease, and that came at a time when... I was very quick to be jumping away from anything that was popular. Oh, sure, yeah, And yeah, so yeah. that definitely frames a lot of my thoughts about Ben Lee and, and kind of just my disinterest in exploring much more. I really like this song. And last month, Deej, when you were talking about this being... It was the 20th anniversary to the day of Breathing yes, Tornadoes. Yes. I listened to Breathing Tornadoes that day. What did you... It was your first it was time? Good. It was my first time listening to it. I was like, that was a pretty nice album. Oh, I'm glad It's like a nice... It. You know, nice late 90s Australian singer-songwriter album. Had some good tracks. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's just a nice song. It's very, like, this being at number two represents a thing that, like, again, I just, like, there's something about Ben Lee's pedestal in Australian music that I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. And that makes yeah. me disengage, and that's fine, or whatever. Well, he but, didn't do himself any favours with that. You, oh, yes. You, you know about... You yeah, know about the, the, tell him, tell him. Yeah, tell him the story. One of the best Australian music beefs that has ever existed between Ben him Lee... Drake. Drake. <laughs> 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 um, no, Bernard Fanning is oh. the other side of that beef. Because uh, Ben Lee declared himself, I don't even know when or in what context, but the quote was, the saviour of Australian music. Bernard Fanning then, and again, I don't know the context, but I do know the quote, called him a precocious little cunt. Oh, yeah, yeah right, I did know about that. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know whether the beef went on from that, and I do know <laughs> that Bernard has apologised since then. Has, has like, Ben Lee apologised for calling for himself the saviour of Australian, Australian music? music? I don't know. I think I don't they're know. both I think that's uh, a, that, that, indefensible that, that, things to that, say. That, that's a far worse claim. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah also, he was, like, 19 <laughs> and, like, being, like, provocative to try and yeah. get a reaction. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 what you do when you're 19. Yeah. When you think Ben Lee, you think punk rock provocateur. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but look, this is an incredibly iconic song. Apart, yeah. from, apart from everything else, you hear the words Cigarettes Will Kill You by Ben Lee. And it's just like that is etched eternally into the in Australian music history. It's, it's, it is right there. It's all, it all is 100% to do with that piano line, right? Like it's, it's one of those things that as soon as you hear it, you have to question yourself whether you've heard it before because that's how striking it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you haven't, even if you hadn't heard it before. It appears as though you may have because it's just, it, it's just there. Has it been used in stuff? I, it was I, in Cracker Jack. Oh, yeah, of course. Nice, nice. Okay. Because it's such an iconic sound instantly, yeah. I think it would be tough to use it in anything. I guess Cracker Jack works because it's... Australiana. And then it's like an offbeat comedy, so yeah. kind of like... Even yeah. though it's an emotional song, I don't think it would work at all to put it... In a dramatic movie, like that would because it's 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 kind of dorky, right? Like very jarring. I keep coming back to the verses, and it's just how it's all just talking about himself as different kinds of food, like the 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 kind of like ungainliness of the line "You serve me up with cake, and that's a big mistake." Like it's not 
good. It's not. It's not good. But there's something that I'm willing to forgive about it in the same way as I can just see the naivety of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't know whether it's quite enough because it's... You would never show someone those lyrics and be like, this is a song I'm writing, because they'd be like... There is something about that at the same time. So, like, I I would love, for me, if the verses were better. (laughs) But there's something about them not being that kind of... There's something about it that I'm not ready to dismiss as just being bad entirely. Do you know what I mean? There's, like... It's not quaint, but it's, like... There's something understated about it, maybe, that, that... yeah. That makes the song more personable or... I think that's kind of it. I think it matches his vocal style as well, how he's not singing in a traditionally beautiful way. Like, I can imagine if this got played on the radio next to, like, your pop divas or whatever, a lot of people who love mainstream pop would be like, this, who is this guy? He doesn't deserve mm. to be here. He can't sing. And I kind of love that. You know, he clearly can write because I want a TV embrace is a beautiful line. Mm. And, yeah. And, like, the harmonies are gorgeous. So, like, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's and that's all him craft too. there. Exactly. He's, <laughs> he's, he's on choir on that one. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very clear. And, you know, the way that he's playing with the idea of cigarettes will kill you being a line inspired by a relationship that's toxic and not good for you but something that you keep going back to nonetheless yeah 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 yeah. you know looking at a pack of cigarettes and seeing the warning but still lighting up like that in relationship form Mm. I think that's a really solid kind of idea to write a a song about it's Mm -hmm. a great conceit and I think he carries it well especially in the line I wish everyone was wrong like isn't that just an admission it's like I know that I'm with this person and and they're bad for me the amount of times I fucking howled that fucking lyric man Right, uh-huh. it's it's real. It's great. So, like, I think I'm left with a tension that I I think I enjoy between you know the kind of craftlessness, ungainliness, dorkiness of of those verses and those kind of lyrics against what is clearly like a great conceit and a really well produced song and obviously an iconic one. Yeah, it's singular. Above everything else, there's not a lot of songs that I can say are exactly like this. It reminds me a bit of Eels. But eels would be Ooh, a little. I feel interesting. Like eels would have taken it to a more polished place, whereas I think it's a statement that Ben didn't. Yeah, mm. yeah. The title, uh, obviously, not really having much to do with the song itself, um, apparently uh, came from when uh, Ben heard previous entry in uh, the Hottest One Hundred. The drugs don't work. Yeah, by uh, the Verve, and he just liked that as like a very provocative title, and he wanted to do something similar. (laughs) One more thing before we go, I also want to point out that Ben is a very rare instance in the Hottest 100. He is a two-time runner-up, 1998 and 2005. Yeah, right. Yeah, true story. What did it was? Oh five. Catch my disease. Oh, fucking I'm hell. surprised yeah. that, that that Triple J would audience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, you won't guess who beat him in 2005. The very same man who called him a precocious little hey. cunt hey. seven years earlier. Oh. The ultimate justice right there, people. Two-party system. One for Bernald, two for Bernald. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Cigarettes will kill you, but this song keeps me alive. Everyone. From everywhere, all genders, all walks of life, all people, you have waited long enough. That's true. One song to go. We have counted up the votes. We got all of your faxes. We got all of your letters. And we saw which vote went all the way to the top. And it was The Offspring. With Pretty Fly for a motherfucking white guy. Let's do it. Montag lieben, glauben, globen. 
Yeah, we are saluting and we are congratulating the offspring. Who come real close in the past? They got two songs in the top five. Ninety four, yes. Yeah. Self esteem. Self esteem and come and out and play. Out play. Yeah. Back to back. Yeah. So they kissed the ring, but they never touched the crown. But this year, this year, they have grabbed that brass ring, they have pulled it down, and they have knocked out the competition. Number one, The Offspring, Pretty Fly, for a white guy, from the album Americana. Yeah, this um, certainly sparked the ongoing trend with The Offspring for every album to have a weird non-punk pop outside a poppy track that sounds nothing like the album that just boosts all the sales. This that obviously continues on with like original Prankstar and with the recent album that had that terrible song about California Cruising on it. California Cruising California before the in my trunk. Yeah. Also hit that. Hit that. Hit that. Yeah, yes. they're all about it these days, man. Oh, you're going to go far, kid? Yeah. I've mentioned whenever we've gotten the chance to speak about them how the Offspring were not only one of my first bands that I remember liking, but even today I think they're probably the better of the collection of pop punk bands from the mid-90s. Yeah. Stuff like... He's down the ombre, and even like honestly, the, the Americana record is a terrific fucking record. Dude, there's it a, holds the fuck up. There's some I love really it. incredible tracks on there. Yeah, dude. This is not one of them. Nope, it is not. This this is a fucking stinker, man. Like the only bit about this that sounds at all like uh, the Offspring is the individual like that down 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 down, and that's a bit too mid tempo, slow pace for it to be engaging punk rock music. But then just like the weird, and I know that because they're Californians, so that, 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 that's, that's an area that has a lot of like thriving like Latino culture and that's obviously what Dex is playing with here and I'm not saying that he's like a cultural appropriation weirdo but it is fucking weird that he's doing like so saying someone's pretty fly for a white guy when you're a white guy is fucking weird the, the well, counting he's not saying it all the girlies are saying it yeah <laughs> got me <laughs> don't there. shoot the messenger yeah. got me there Dex yeah yeah man it's just like not only is the song like a crappy kind of track and shouldn't be number one but it, the fact that it started a trend of every Offspring album having a fucking awful song on it that is the single that everyone loves like is so annoying I couldn't imagine what it would have been like to be an Offspring fan oh dude to have, to have ridden hard for like Ixnay and Ignition yeah. and that and then because wasn't Smash the most successful independent album still is still, still is like you know they didn't need it but I read an interesting piece on this mm. to celebrate, you know, the the anniversary of this song. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, it's 20, 20, 20 years or whatever of of Pretty Fly for a White Guy existing. One more year and it can go serve in the war and <laughs> go to casinos and drink in Vegas. Yeah, that's eighteen, man, in the states. Really, you can go to war yeah. before you can drink. Yeah, there's there's a good political cartoon about that somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> it's also sketching the young ones. Yeah, I was gonna say the young ones. <laughs> yeah, okay. you cannot drink in pubs. <laughs> By this point, you know, the offspring. We're just kind of playing around. They, they'd already done being an amazing Californian pop-punk band, and so they just decided to have fun as a band making a, a pop song that kind of eats on pop culture in itself. Like, Dex has gone on record saying that he, he just wanted to write a song about how he was seeing a bunch of white guys pretending like they were from Compton and... Yeah, I'm appropriating sure. hip-hop culture in the way that they were, and this was the best form that he could think to do it. And... You know what? Like, I'm not here to entirely defend the song because fuck me, it's obnoxious as shit, and it's very fucking hard to listen to. Like, I <laughs> that's, got, that's the thing. It's right? so it's hard just, to it's listen just, to. It's just work to put it on, man. But the craft is there. Like, I was just thinking, like, 
our subject isn't cool, but he thinks it anyway. Like, mm. we know that the offspring can write, and they write in this really particular kind of almost literary detached kind of style, and it's still at work here. Like, the offspring's craft at songwriting, like... Yeah, I mean, some of the rhymes are kind of dumb, but yeah. I think everything you have to say, you have to give the benefit of the doubt and go, like, it's deliberate. You must have been out to make the most annoying song in the world. I don't that know, That must man. have been Maybe, the aim. right? But, <laughs> I can't see it any other way. But He had to have known that he was do- what he was doing. But they still play it. They still do. And it's still annoying. They it's like, yeah. right yeah. if they didn't play it. Is it worse to make the most annoying song in the world when you're setting out to make the most annoying song in the world, or is it worse to incidentally make the most well, annoying song in the world? Some of the blame here definitely lies on the voting audience. Society. <laughs> also, the blame also lies on every conceivable media outlet that played this, because it's the fact that it's also just overplayed as hell, yeah. right? Like, everybody knows it. Yeah. But also on the... Imagine coming the, to this song fresh, like, never having heard insane. it before. Man, I'd love, yeah. some, I'd no, love this is terrible. to hear this for the first Why time. Why is this happening? Because yeah. I think without... Without the saturation, it doesn't work as a catchy pop song. Yeah. Every single element of it is catchy, though. Yeah. yeah. He's trying too hard, and he's not, not quite, quite hip, but in his own mind, he's he's the dopest trip. <laughs> is so bad, <laughs> I will never forget it. It's aged terribly. We, oh, should, we should say that. God has aged it's terribly. It's fucking aged terribly. Like, Ricky Lake is not a show anymore. Yeah, Ricky Lake. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, Dexter, man? Maybe at the time that was like a cutting edge reference, but that <laughs> isn't it. Wasn't Gleben Garth and Globen from something as uh, well? That's a reference to Def Leppard. Def Leppard. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the kids are all talking about Def Leppard. <laughs> yeah. So my theory is that at this point, looking at the last couple of years, we've had huge, huge albums. OK Computer, Mezzanine, Bjork's one that we've talked about, Homogenic, Homogenic, Homogenic. like. I think the voting audience has hit a point of critical thought fatigue. <laughs> where wow. I've broken up with good music, <laughs> yeah, dumb yeah. novelty songs yeah. about your best friends. Hey, we, um, you know, are we forgetting the first winner of the hottest one? No, well, that's true as well. But this is, I don't know, this feels different. So this is what happens when there's too much good music. This is the person that, you know, whoever voted for this definitely voted for the two South Park songs that got in the top 20 as well. <laughs> Mac 10! Yeah. This is what, like, yeah. everyone's like, look, I know No Surprises is a beautiful track. I'm just tired of being told that it's a beautiful track. This is like the problem that happens with democracy everywhere all the time. This is Brexit and Trump and Pretty Fly for a White oh, Guy. Oh, yeah. come cr- on. Cr- People being like, oh, look, Teardrop is great, but... I don't want to hear people tell me how good it is that Teardrop got number one. I'm going to vote I for Pretty Fly for a White Guy. people tell me how annoying it is that Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Yeah, that's it. Because I just want to stick it to those, you know, those squares uh, in their ivory music towers. I think this is a very popular song. Like, yeah, yeah, well. Huge crossover hit, obviously, like, got to be by far the song The Offspring I'm most known for. Yeah. Like, God, that's a shame. Bummer, right? I mean, yeah. can, you, do you, can you remember being a kid when this song first came out? Because I... I I remember liking oh, it. Yeah, see, that's yeah. The, that's the thing as well. Like, I'm trying to think back because, like, obviously now I think it's a piece of shit. But like, I think at the time, I thought it was good. Yeah. No, I, I definitely <laughs> liked it as a kid. I definitely liked the original Prankster as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you feeling like, bullied? It's, it's not. It's no, not, no, okay, no, good. no. It's like well, I'm it's not like, personally attacked or anything. Well, do you do you write for this song now? Like, do you have a soft spot for it? I'll always have a soft spot for it. Yeah, okay. I, I can never change that. Okay. Like, oh, you can. 
No, it's in my DNA. You, you can go to like camps. It's it, it, uh, <laughs> they can, they can uh, pray chemicals. It they, they've got chemicals now that make the frogs stop liking pretty fluffy frog uh, hangover. Uh, <laughs> Brought yeah. it back, everybody. <laughs> now look, I vividly remember this this time and this video, and just I think it's so hilarious to look back on this now, realizing for a different generation this was the offspring selling out point. Yeah. Whereas we grew up, and then later on, when like, <coughs> like, uh, like later records like Rise and Fall, Rage and Grace, and like the Days Go By record and shit came out, we were just like, oh fuck, man, the Offspring have sold out. You mentioned um videos for this. Mm. And you mentioned the video for uh, oh, for this song. video is sick. Yeah. Directed by McGee, the director of Terminator Salvation. Yes. God, he directs some shit as well. <laughs> McGee. Yeah. McGee. It's also his name. Is yeah, McGee. McGee man, you that's not a name. Yeah. That's not a name. Mm. My name's Adam Buncher, and that's not a name. <laughs> obviously, very iconic video for this as well. The fuck it, like that's the other thing, right? Like you can't. I, I don't know how much they're leaning into it being like we're actually being ironic, but just like egregious fisheye lens shots of women in bikinis twerking. Mm. It, it's like that thing, right? Like doing racism ironically is still doing racism. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's just it's egregious to watch and it's super annoying to hear. Like, Stop accusing a- the offspring of shouting the N word, okay? <laughs> For the last time. I, I think know. I think that's what you have to say. Like you know, deliberate or not, the song is still obnoxious that's as shit, thing, and it's right? still not enjoyable to listen to someone go. Ah! <laughs> And like, give it to me, baby. This isn't a song meant to be, like... Enjoyed. You're not supposed to grade it on the same way that you would a song that's meant to be taken seriously. You know what I mean? And I can see why you'd have the... the, As I said, I can see why in crafting the song you would have the give it to me, baby, uh aha in there. But in that moment, what you're doing is you're embodying this character that you're talking about. about, You're you're, you're going inside his mind. This is what he imagines it's like. And And yet the annoying noise reveals that it's absolutely farcical, right? I see the craft there, but it's still like music... No matter what the song is, no matter what the conceit, no matter what you're playing with in terms of the the ideas, you still must be listened to. For me, this is about effect and purpose. Like, it's about what a song sets out to do. If the song sets out to, like, make a point about something politically and it conveys that, then that song has served its purpose. If the song is meant to, like, rile you up and be, like, get you headbanging and dancing and partying, then it served its purpose. If a song is meant to make you laugh and it's meant to kind of just be taken in good nature and just, you know, have a bit of a joke to it, then it's served its purpose. And at the time and in the context, Pretty Fly for a White Guy served its purpose. In the same way that other, like, (coughs) quasi-novelty songs, Arsehole was absolutely not meant to be taken seriously. But Um. Arsehole is just as effective in what it is trying to do as its runner-up, Creep. I will put that out there. I don't think this is a better song than Cigarettes Will Kill You, but I understand the context and the purpose in which it came out initially, and I understand the climate within which it was released, and I understand the Triple J demographic going with it at the time. When I look at certain Hottest 100s and I look at the number one and I remember that time and the place and everything that factors in, it's not about 
the best song of the year. It's about the song that best reflects what was going on that year, where we were, what we were doing, etc., etc., etc. So there's a lot more that factors into it than it just being the best song. I guess I can't escape the fact that I loved this so much as a child, you know? Like, I loved this record and I loved this song. I didn't get most of the references as a kid because of course I didn't but like I see it now as like obviously just them just having a bit of fun Offspring were no strangers to just having a bit of fun and they've always had a few things that are very very tongue in cheek like fuck I choose has the line if I wasn't such a weenie do you think you'd still love me like come on you're not rap geniusing that shit and just being like so what Dexter means no. by that is no but the thing <laughs> is that is, it isn't just the lyrics of this it's the form like, the whole thing is just annoying, I yeah, think. Yeah, but you know what? I'm, I'm thinking about this now, and I'm thinking, like, I can't sit here and nostalgically wish to go back to the simplicity of the emotions that are displayed in Jebediah <laughs> and then turn my nose up at this. It's like, it, that's the package of, of, you know, the feelings of youth. Like, you, a novelty song is fun to you, and you're able to just engage with it and, like, th- and, and enjoy dumb shit. You know what, man? Like, I think, you, I think you're kind of right. Like, it, it's not something that I would choose to listen to now, but... It is number one. I can see how it was number one. I can see how it was. Yeah. It was everywhere. If I'm being honest with myself, as a kid, I did enjoy it. So, I don't know. Oh, I'm sure I did because I was an idiot. Yeah. But that's it, right? I liked no. heaps of dumb shit when I was dumb. Yeah. No. no, I'm still dumb as hell. So, <laughs> so maybe that's why I'm the sole defender of this in the room. Adam's on your side now. Uh, no, I, I, I just think that... He rides and dies for it. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 it's his favourite song. This, this is carryover champ. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I just think it's, it's not necessarily about whether or not I enjoy it now or not. For this podcast, for the song that comes in at number one, on some level, it has to be. Well, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, this was, uh, I think, right up until the week before the... Hottest 100 was um, broadcast. This was also number one on the ARIA charts at the yeah. time. So, you know, interesting. I Winning big. Bad now and bad then. <laughs> <laughs> probably I mean, probably the wor- one of the worst number ones. Oh, oh. oh they get worse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what if, you know how um, very good podcast uh, that I know does this like carryover champ and chump thing? Oh, what if yeah. we also did that? Because we've mentioned like doing it across seasons, but obviously that doesn't work. What if we just did that with the number ones as well? Ooh. Well, this is a chump. What if, well, <laughs> is, is it, what if we just um, once a season updated whether the new. Number yeah, one was right. our new champ or chump. What I can are, double check. What have the, the ones been yeah, so far? Yeah. Okay, so we've had Arsehole by Dennis Leary. Yep. Uh, Zombie by the Cranberries. We had Wonderwall by Oasis. We have had Buy Me a Pony by Spiderbait. We have had... No Aphrodisiac. No Aphrodisiac by the Whitlams. And we've had Pretty <coughs> Cry for a White Guy by the Offspring. All right, champ, Spiderbait, chump, Offspring. Ditto. I'm going to do no aphrodisiac and, and offspring. My champ is going to be... Say Wonderwall. Do it. No, no, that's my chump. Oh, boy. Oh. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Oh, Jeez. my God. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Wonderwall almost as much as anybody, but Dave, this is inspiring. Apparently Look. not. Yeah, buy me a pony. Fuck it. Yeah. Nice, nice. Good. I don't think we should forget about the impact that the offspring have had on Australian culture... Uh, lest we forget, Channel 10 uh, 
they put together a really interesting television series based on the career of the offspring. God damn it. For whatever reason, they set it in a hospital and oh, Dexter Holland yeah. is played okay. by Asher Kenny. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very good. Well I don't done. know why. It's well super done. weird. Yeah. All right. I also bring that up because uh, on the season finale of Offspring... They uh, played people, Offspring? No, no, no. People were tweeting at Offspring and Noodles <laughs> was replying to every one of them. <laughs> and it was Very pretty good. fucking great. Good. Very good. That brings us to the end of the 1998 Triple J Hardest 100 and the end of season six. Well done, done, friends. It's it's been a pleasure. It's been as real as the fucking frogs turning gay, man. It's real shit. A little bit. Before we finish up for season six, there's one more thing we got to do. We are ending the ever continuing story of carryover champs and chumps. This is it. What is your overall champ and chump? My champ of the whole thing, it's got to be Teardrop. My chump... You know what? I'm not selling the van. Brand Van 3000 is the crappiest song of the 100. Yes. Uh, You know what? As much as it would be very, very tempting to give the chump to number one. (laughs) But come on, man. Like, listen to those songs back to back. Oh, no, I don't know now. Ooh. Do you want to? Yeah, Free Play is my this- chump. Oh! Yeah. You asshole of a song from a band I really like. <laughs> yeah, my chump is Free Play for a while by The Offspring. My champ is Teardrop, Massive Attack. My favourite from these ten... My, obviously, my least favourite is Pretty Fly. Yeah. And my favourite would be the song formerly known as... Nice. Hmm? Nice. My favourite from the ten would also be the song formerly known as... Um, and my chump would probably be pretty pretty fly um i'm gonna keep my overall champ as teardrop by massive attack and you know what i'm gonna keep my overall chump as the sweetest thing by you too because right. it's one thing to make a deliberately obnoxious song and it's one thing to try and make a sweet song and then just ending up pissing me the fuck off yes. so great keeping mm. it there yeah mm. nice <laughs> uh my favorite from this episode is the song formerly known as my least favorite is got the life New champ, new chump. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what? Wow. I totally forgot we spoke about corn, <laughs> but wow. my vote's already in. <laughs> <laughs> Last minute changes. Yeah. All right. My favorite song of the top 10 is Cigarettes Will Kill You. It will also be my favorite song of the entire countdown, my overall champ. My least favourites... I don't want to do this. I really don't want to fucking do this. Like, I love all of these songs in one way or another. I guess it has to be pretty fly for a white guy, but you can all get fucked if I'm selling that goddamn van. I'm driving that van all the way down to the river. That's what I'm doing. You're the sole owner of the van I'm the sole owner of the van. I'm the sole survivor. I'm the Mark Wahlberg of this podcast. Checks out. Boom. That's it. Yep. We're done. We did it. That was season six of the hottest one hundred and thousands podcast. Let's give a big shout out to FBI Radio. God damn, you do so much for us. You let us use this space. So thank you, FBI. We really appreciate you. Please go to FBIRadio.com and support this station. We want to give a massive thank you to you guys. Holy shit. 
you've come out in full force every single time and it's so so cool to get messages from you guys like uh yeah everyone that has written to us and given us some correspondence thank you otherwise it's just the four of us just sitting in a room talking we'd be doing it anyway but the fact you guys are listening is the coolest fucking thing in the world so Thank you for that. I want to give a thank you to Elliot J. O'Neill over at The Simpsons Index for having us on his podcast and him coming on to ours. I love Elliot. I love that podcast. And I love the fact that we've been able to come together in such a wonderful way. Thank you, Elliot. Sweet Potato, you came through with the goods with an absolute banger of a intro song. Thank you so much for that. We really, really appreciate it. Yes. And again, listeners, thank you very much for joining us on this. Stoked to hear all the words you say. Irony aside, the reviews are always really beautiful and reaffirming to read. The messages you've sent have been in equal parts funny, insightful, and in certain ways sincerely touching. You know what I'm talking about. Just thank you very much for your support and your words. We'll, we'll be back sooner than you realise. Um, in the meantime, please keep us abreast of what you're voting for in the 2018 Horace 100. We'd yes. love to see your votes. Take screenshots and send them into either the Facebook page, Horace 100s and Thousands, or the Twitter, Horace 100s, or the Gmail, Horace100SAND1000S. And you can't really post screenshots on the iTunes review forum, so just, yeah. just keep your regular thoughts there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Insta too. We're on Insta. We're on Insta. Insta. Yeah, Horace100s. Give, it, give us a fave. Hell yeah. And a follow. Can't wait to see, speak to you all again. Love you dearly. Until next time, on behalf of the great man, Adam Buncher. Thanks, guys. On behalf of the prettiest, flyest white guy I know, <laughs> Mr. Andrew McDonald. Good night, listeners. And on behalf of the heaviest heart in the room, Nathan Harrison. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> I, you came through. <laughs> My name is David James Young, and everything is good for you!